This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Matt Townsend here with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang's all here doing what we can to give you a leg up in life. And today, no exception. Holy cow. Uh... Tropical Storm Nate, it's uh, it's creating some problems, but thank heavens, not as big of problems as we've seen in other places. It uh, it was a tropical storm, but uh, tropical storms nonetheless bring a lot of water. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and uh, anyway, it's uh, just wanted to bring it up because didn't want anybody to think we were forgetting you. The prayers are out again, and uh, not a lot, not a lot, not a lot, in, not as much, it doesn't seem like, information um, coming out about Tropical Storm, Nathan. But, um, Terry, what? Uh, let's just get to the headlines and get right to what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to. What, uh, what should we be worrying about? As you said, Hurricane Nate made landfall twice in the United States over the weekend and was immediately downgraded to a tropical storm and then a tropical depression as it made its way along the southern region of the country. Residents Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi were the hardest hit, and the second landfall occurred near Biloxi. Um, According to the National Hurricane Center, the storm made its first landfall in Louisiana with a maximum sustained wind of 85 miles an hour. Nearly 300,000 people in Mississippi alone were without electricity Mm. overnight into Sunday. So So it's, it's gone all the way down to a tropical depression. Yeah, it's just really it's lost sad steam. and but, down. I mean, there's a, a feature on Snapchat. I know you're on Snapchat, uh, <laughs> where you can look at the map. Yeah, right. You look a map of the U.S. and you can zoom in on a certain area and you can see all the videos people have posted. And during Harvey and during Irma, it was crazy. During I went, went through Maybe. Biloxi. There's there's yeah. trees down. People, you know, power outages, but not as much of the. Uh, some areas were pretty hit yeah. by the storm surge, but I mean, right across, right along the coast, it wasn't so far. Biloxi's seen before. some pretty ugly storms before too, so right. it's probably like, ah, eh, we can handle this. It's like, ah, this is fine. But still, it's water. In other news, President Trump on Sunday went scorched earth, as this says, against Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee, saying Uh-oh. the Senate Foreign Relations Committee chairman didn't have the guts to run for re-election. Bob Corker begged me to endorse him for re-election in Tennessee. I said no, and then he dropped out. He said he could not win without my endorsement. Trump wrote on Twitter, <laughs> adding, he also wanted to be Secretary of State. I said, no thanks. This is all in quotes. Oh, wow. But I he, get the feeling that this isn't 100% true. Well, he also largely uh, he's also largely responsible for the horrendous Iran deal, the president said. Uh, Corker, who advised Trump's transition team on foreign policy matters, would be a negative voice and stand in the way of our great agenda. Corker responded to the barbs later Sunday, writing on Twitter, It is a shame that the White House has become an adult daycare center, someone obviously missing their shift this morning. Trump's tweets <laughs> underscore his longstanding anger at the uh, congressional Republicans for not fully supporting him. Corker said in the New York Times article on Sunday that he believes that President Trump could be setting the country on a path to World War III. At least he didn't say somebody <sighs> missed their nap today. Yeah. Corker, that, that whole part about uh, Corker asking for an endorsement and Trump saying no. Um, the chief of staff for Corker went on record saying that the that Trump actually called Corker and, and said, hey, you need to run. I'll endorse you. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what the chief of staff for Senator Corker is saying. Yeah, so he said, she said, it's fun. But again, this is this seems like really weird behavior 
for the leader of the GOP. Yes, to go after a senator. A sitting GOP senator that has a lot of influence in a state. Yes. Especially when there could be indictments in his White House. And, you know, there's other things going on that you might want to pay attention to rather than an outgoing senator. Maybe he doesn't want to be reelected, so he just is burning bridges purposely. Maybe. Hmm. Speaking of another distraction, Vice President Mike Pence left an NFL game on Sunday due to uh, a decision by some players to kneel during the national anthem. He says on Twitter, I left today's Colts game because uh, POTUS and I will not dignify any event that disrespects our soldiers, our flag, and the national anthem. While everyone is entitled to their own opinions, I don't think it's too much to ask the NFL players to respect the flag and the anthem, Pence said. Trump later tweeted that he asked Pence to leave if any players kneel, disrespecting our country. So Mm -hmm. uh, NBC News White House correspondent Peter Alexander asked, uh, asked on Twitter if Pence leaving the Colts game was a political stunt. Reporters were told to stay in the van because, quote, there may be an early departure from this game. Hmm. So they knew it was happening. I mean, you knew somebody would kneel. Twenty players knelt. It wasn't a secret. This, you know, it's not over. Yeah. They're not just going to stop. And uh, as Trump said, he goes, "I asked him before he left to do this." Yeah. And so it's just a setup thing that happened. And a, then, PR, a PR, a uh, PR stunt. The, then there's the question it. of flying the vice president to Indianapolis for a yeah, football well, game to simply costs. just walk out the door. It's possible he just had some really bad nachos or something and had to get out of there. Could be. It's always about nachos with you. (laughs) Dallas Cowboy team owner Jerry Jones said Sunday night that any player on his team who disrespects the flag will be benched. Last week when it all flared up, the whole kneeling and President Trump and all that, there's uh, reports that he called Dallas owner uh, Jerry Jones four times asking him to please don't have your team kneel during the anthem. Because it's the Cowboys. It's a big deal. Please. Oh, please. Oh, Come please. on, guys. Please, oh, please. Really? Yeah. Four and, times. Uh, but did no, so no Cowboys knelt? No, they did. And Jerry Jones did, too. Remember, they knelt yeah, before yeah, yeah. the anthem but, and then stood with oh, arms linked yeah. for the anthem. Yeah. Yeah. But none of his knelt during the anthem. So apparently... No. And now we're seeing if they do, they're benched. Which yeah. would be funny. Let's see if... Uh, the uh, what's uh, the quarterback? Elliot, even, yeah, and, or, and the running back Elliot and the quarterback. What's his Dak name? Dak Prescott. Yeah, let's see if they sit. If either of them take a knee, let's see what happens then. Your your bench? No, he's not going to do that. Yeah, that's like the number one lesson you learn as a kid, though. If everybody does it, nobody gets in trouble. By the way, what, my son, my son had somebody Strength kneel in his in his class. Hmm. In his they kick him out middle school class. Do they kick him out? No. No. Interesting. Because kids Just, are getting kicked out across the nation for kneeling during football games or classes or whatever. Yeah. Hmm. Just kind of an interesting social thing happening. Yeah. And finally, it was a big weekend for me, Matt. Why? Huge development. Oh, hold on, let me guess. Let me oh, guess. Yes, yes, yes. I and then a trailer what... was released. A pre-trailer. Yes. Going not, not to a be real released. trailer. Well, there was a trailer and a pre-trailer. <laughs> oh, mercy. So Sunday morning, Warner Brothers released the new trailer for the Justice League movie, right? That's okay. going to come out November yeah. 17th or so. The trailer begins... With Lois Lane walking on the porch of the Kent farmhouse in Kansas, mm. Superman or Clark, whichever way you want to go at this point, he's standing nearby in a cornfield. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because of the events in the trailer, you get the idea it's a dream sequence. Oh, but it's okay. important because if you remember, Superman died in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Thanks a lot. Which is ridiculous. Well, Spoiler you, alert. If you haven't seen it at this Spoiler point, alert. that's your fault. Um, so he died in that movie. So. Which is important because this Justice League movie will have elements Mm -hmm. of this Death of Superman, Return of Superman, Mm -hmm. 1992 comic book Mm storyline 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because... <laughs> mm-hmm. Matt's in, halfway in, out the door I know, by I know, now. This is awesome. mm-hmm. But in that storyline, mm-hmm. his body mm-hmm. was put into a regeneration matrix in the Fortress of Solitude. Now I'm interested. To bring him back. So my question is, will they go that far? I Matt, do not know. Matt I, wishes he was in his Fortress of Solitude <laughs> right now. Will they go that far to, to, to include the, the regeneration matrix? I don't care if they will. I want to know more about how you re, what's this regeneration matrix because I may need it. We know this exists <laughs> because there are Lego sets yeah. that have been previewed at toy fairs across the country uh-huh. that show a Superman in a black Superman <sighs> uniform, which is what he's wearing when he comes out of the regeneration matrix. So now he's a black Well, it's a black suit, suit with like a white S. And so mm. like, oh, I've seen that before. And then they go to the 1992 series. And Why is everybody is. moving away from the red and the white and the blue? Because that's what it's. Yeah, a, everyone's it, moving away from the it's red, a white, jumpsuit you wear in the Matrix. He'll change back. It's fine. Don't worry. Hold on. Is that what we call his suit? A jumpsuit? Sort of. In that situation, it is. Now, that was that was one. Now mm-hmm. that that trailer came out Sunday morning. It has nine million views. That pre-trailer? Right now. No, that was a trailer. Okay. The pre-trailer, mm-hmm. Disney announced that tickets for the the Star Wars: The Last Jedi will go on sale following the release of a new trailer during halftime of tonight's Monday Night Football. Wow! So I went and looked. You cannot buy the ticket yet. I tried. <laughs> I will get them later tonight. Disney did release a thirty-second teaser, actually multiple ones. It shows Ray. Ray. She's the girl. Her name's Ray. She's she's the uh, like a ray of sunshine. She could be the Jedi. She is a Jedi. She has some Jedi type abilities. She could be the last. She's a pre Jedi. She could be the last Jedi. But at the end of of uh, the the Force Awakens, she Skywalker's on this island. So (sighs) so who's the last Jedi? Mm -hmm. What's happening here? What what is the the true defining moment of a movie about the last Jedi? But there's two. Well, Jedi is plural. Is the it, last Jedi. Is. is Jedi plural? Yes. The word itself is. So the trailer, <laughs> you see Ray. She's on the island Akchato with a lightsaber mm. instead of her trademark staff. She never actually wielded the lightsaber. Is this what Finn. you did all weekend? Yeah, I did. It was pretty awesome. That and football. Boy. What's it like to be married to you? <laughs> My wife just sort of Did she away. listen to you talk about this? Yeah. She wanted to send you a text of warning that this uh, may happen. I wish she had. Yeah. I mean, I would have read up. I would have studied up. Mm-hmm. It's all right, though. I, I think I think we're all better now that we know that there's a Justice League trailer that you can now stop work and go look at for a few moments. Yeah. It's got some funny jokes in it. It's got some more humor. I, boy, I wish I found it about a tenth as exciting as you And think. then Star Wars will be <laughs> exciting because we get more of that and that comes out in December and you can purchase tickets so you can set up a weekend in December which I already cleared with my wife. I was asking her like what's the what's the chances that your family tries to pull one of these weekend Christmas parties on the release weekend By of what? the Star Wars movie? Why would that matter? Because then it's like how do you tell your family I'm sorry but we're not going to be there? No, just you, don't, go. you just go in the day. Just go and sneak out at some point. Say, I just need to go get something for my car. Well, we have to put the I kids need more somewhere. eggnog. And then just come say, back three eggnog. hours later. It's really tough. You put the kids in the closet at your sister's house. Uh, we'll see. And it's not my family, so I don't want to speak for my wife as we're both leaving. Good point. Yeah. By the way, I, really good point. Are there some sour grapes in here or something? Because I noticed that Joe Cannon is not going to be on the show, and I'm wondering if that was uh, on purpose. 
because yeah, he said it's because you keep making up songs that lo- don't <laughs> match <laughs> his personality. Right. I think you didn't want him on the show because the Los Angeles Dodgers over the weekend went up two games to none. Why? I love the Dodgers. Do who, you? Who are they playing? Yeah, exactly. They're playing the Diamondbacks. Wow. I'm, but I, if I had to choose, I'd rather have a Dodger than a mm. Diamondback. Just That's because true. <laughs> snakes you don't want to be scare me. Yeah. yeah. But I'd rather have a Diamondback than anything that Terry just talked about. Really? Yeah. What about this though? Would you Superman. rather? <laughs> There's Superman because he's Justice League. By the way, has nothing to do with Superman. Isn't that? He's a founder of the Justice. No, but League. that's uh, that's the Supreme Court Justice League. No, right? no. Batman with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Superman, and Does... Wonder Woman founded the Justice League. But doesn't Ruth Bader Ginsburg go through that regenerator? No. And and she she goes in wearing red, white, and blue. Comes out wearing uh, a black cat outfit. No. Wrong. I must have seen the wrong trailer. <laughs> Would you rather face a diamondback or a cub? How big's the cub? Big. But cubs are cubs, right? It's big yeah. for its size. It's yeah. a, it's big for a baby it's, it's bear. Big, it's big boned. I'd rather have a I'd rather have a bear, a little baby bear. Hmm. Okay. I think you could play with that a little bit more. You could tease it a little bit more. I used to have the famous dream as a child of the snake chasing me all through school. The famous famous one? Yeah, that's remember we had our dream guy on and and being chased by snakes was one of the dreams. Huh. I mean, people have like like they're drowning or they fell off a building or something. No, I was chased by a snake. And now I know what it means. Right. But the snake could never catch me. I was always one step ahead of the snake. Okay. But I could never rest. And that was me in fifth grade trying to... You know, get through math. <laughs> it was math. It was math. So the snake, the metaphor for math. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking of snakes, um, apparently Kim Jong-un uh, has taken his sister and made her some really big dignitary. Yeah, in... she's in the the government somewhere now. She was – she accompanied him on trips – for some reason, and yeah, now they've given her an official position. The official uh, travel. She was in like the propaganda, the propaganda wing. We call it public relations. They call yeah. it. Well, Trump, I think, calls it propaganda. Well, they probably don't call it propaganda. We call it propaganda. It's really just public relations. Yeah. Send all your public so relations related complaints to Matt Townsend. Thank you. Yeah. So she's um, <laughs> she's really uh, she's now a bigger. She has more responsibility. Right. But really, very little. I watched an interesting, um, was it Frontline on PBS about how Kim Jong Un came to power and how he took out many of his family members because you know you don't want your family members trying to take you out of power, right? And then uh, there was the the whole case where in a Malaysian uh, airport he uh, is believed to have had his stepbrother assassinated. And, oh, ooh, right. Yeah. yeah, and 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 to this day, North Carolina or North Carolina. Uh, North Korea yeah. says that, the other yeah, North. The other North. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get to the Dakotas either. Yeah. But North Korea says that that is not the stepbrother, the man that died there. Really? Mm. It wasn't. It's not him. But so who was it that died? They're not saying. And where's the stepbrother? They don't believe it's him. Even though Malaysia's like, yeah, it's him, and North oh, no, Korea killed him. him. 
that they showed the security cameras of the guy walking through the airport, and there's four North Korean Secret Service agents kind of following him through the the airport, kind of watching. Scary as this whole thing. They're just leaning against pillars, and no, I've been watching a around. lot of spy shows lately, and yeah. that's scary. Yeah, like having North Korea or the KGB back in the day, just kind of wandering around it. watching you. And then when it happened, they all scattered and jumped like four different airports and went back to North Korea. They followed their immigration. How do you get back to North Korea? You have to go through Dubai. Oh, that makes sense. Go through Dubai because apparently nobody has like direct flights. It's you crazy. have to scale that tall building in Dubai to get there. Oh, that's scary. And then you hang from it. Yeah, upside down with what one it? suction cup. That's right. Or if it's Fast and the Furious, you drive like super expensive sports cars from one building to the next. Well, yeah, that either way. from one parking. Yeah, either way. from one parking garage to another. I hate it when you have to jump parking garages. Yeah, it's jumping. So, yeah, very interesting. But, yeah, North wow. Korea is a uh, crazy place. And then, so now what, the, the trend with Kim Jong-un is family members keep him as far away as possible. Oh, for sure. He's taken out uncles. He's taken no, out all he's kinds the of guy, people. He's the guy that everyone's afraid of at the Christmas party. But apparently his oh, sister's yeah. fine. Yeah, go ahead. What do you get for that guy? What kind of a Christmas gift, gift card. do you give? Give him a gift card. Safe? Is that the safe bet? And I, with him, I'd, I'd give him probably an NBA gift card gift, gift what, card to get a jersey from there the you NBA. Go. Yeah. He's big into that. Not in hair gel. You know he runs out of hair gel. <laughs> hair gel. Trying to keep his hair like it is. Man. Oh. Just don't play that secret Santa floating gift game where you can steal somebody's gift oh, yeah. or, or, un- or unwrap a new one. How would you like to be the guy that stole his gift? <laughs> you will be radiated. <laughs> that's scary. I don't think he, that's not his real accent. No. By the way. No, I'm not sure what that was. Um. Wow. Think so, a snake bit your tongue. I think we've covered it all, right? Oh well, one other thing from Axios, and I know Terry can give us some light on this. Maybe. Apparently, uh, President Trump has been urging his staff to portray him as a crazy guy. Oh yeah, I've been saving that story for a, a slow day, but you know, we never have a slow day. I know. So, so he really does want. He he's he's trying to play crazier than, for example, Kim Jong Un. Yes. He's trying he's trying to out crazy the crazy. Yeah. So, like, that's when he makes these these statements like, this is the calm before the storm. That's That allows supposedly the negotiators for President Trump to go in there and say, I don't know what the guy's going to do. So the, what, guy's, the guy's crazy. In that article, they, they look at, at what Secretary of uh, Agriculture is sitting in the room. And they're they're trying to have some conversation about some trade deal or something. Yeah. He goes, you've got 30 days, and I, and if you don't get a concession, then I'm pulling you out. He goes, okay. Well, then I'll tell the Koreans they've got 30 days. He goes, no, 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 Trump interjects. That's not how you negotiate. You don't tell them they've got 30 days. You tell them this guy's so crazy he could pull out at any minute, meaning the president, right? He goes, that's what you tell them. Any minute, Trump continued. And by the way, I might. You guys – all you need to know is that I might. You don't I tell do them it. 30 days. If they take 30 days, they'll stretch it all the way out and oh, take every single yeah. day. Just tell them I'm crazy and I'll back at her See, any that's moment. that's a good point. It's a good point. But what they're playing is good cop, crazy cop, which is the lesser known uh, version of good cop, bad cop. But it's crazy cop that could go crazy on you. He's the guy that could tase you, could nightstick you and this was at a, any time. This agricultural deal was with our allies, South Korea. Oh. Right. He wasn't telling North Korea. He was, they were talking to South Korea here. He was, don't tell them. Don't tell them 30 days. Tell them at any moment. So, so maybe this, this helps deal. us understand what the president is doing. Some of his statements are really to just be erratic so that his people can better leverage the deals with our allies. 
Right. It would think you'd think you'd do this with our enemies. Yeah. I guess he does them there too. But it's know. really also our allies. Yes. So he could do this with Germany. With... He's, keep, he's keeping everyone off balance mm-hmm. so that he has the advantage. Except what's happening is no one knows what's going on. Is it working? No. Yeah. There's just confusion, which is usually bad. I might start using this technique, though. Really? Yeah. Just start saying random things? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. I've kind of started it. <laughs> but I don't want to, I didn't want anyone to know. It's kind of a, a slow roll. You guys out. don't seem to pay attention to me the way you do President Trump. Well, there's a different level of... Uh, Business savvy going on, apparently. Hmm. For me or for him? <laughs> Either way you want to look at it. Yeah. Well, just so no, if I if I go off and say something crazy, it's probably I'm just trying to play good cop, crazy cop. Hmm. But I would need one of you to step up and be a good cop, and I don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe huh. we'll just go by by feel. We'll see. Well, this yeah. is getting really off the rails, just, and we'll shut yeah. it down. Let's just work. Let's just feel our way through this. It's a good idea. Hey, uh, up next, we're going to be talking about how your eating habits could be hurting your brain. Not just your waistline, Jeff. Jeff's been working on his eating habits. He finally got his nachos. And I won my third game. a boy. My fourth one's is, uh, it's ending tomorrow. Are you ready? I'm there. Close. Okay, when you've won this one, can we make it a point that we never bring up your waistline again? I, you're the one that always brings it up. Well, you're the guy with the shirt off all the time. Good point. Okay. Straight ahead, the wrong eating habits can hurt your brain, according to our next guest. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be back. You know, obesity has its obvious cons, right? Uh, it, the classic breathing hard when you try to walk upstairs, sleep apnea, cardiovascular disease, and even type 2 diabetes. But there are some consequences that we may not know are associated with obesity, and they include our brain. There's a lot of issues that could take place or happen to our brain, and um, we, we wanted to talk to a True Blue expert about it. Um, our guest today is Terry L. Davidson. He's the founding director of the Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and a professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. Uh, Dr. Terry Davidson, thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. What an interesting um, article that you wrote uh, about the wrong eating habits can hurt your brain. Talk to us a little bit about what what's going on um, in our brains when when we are when we're suffering with obesity. Well, um, uh, there's a lot of evidence that indicates that the same kinds of problems as you mentioned in the intro, the diabetes, the heart problems. Uh, we're not protected from those um, kinds of things by uh, the effects of those things uh, based on diet. And it's the same issue with the brain. The brain was thought was protected by uh, various uh, physiological, um, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, physiological uh, mechanisms, but uh, it looks like the diets themselves can kind of defeat those mechanisms. And in particular, areas of the brain that seem to be affected are areas that are in controlling uh, memory and also the ability to inhibit behaviors. And uh, the problem is, of course, is that one of the things you want to do when you're dieting and, and trying to uh, keep weight off uh, is to inhibit feeding behaviors. And it looks like this area of the brain is altered in its function 
by the very diets that are causing obesity. Holy cow. So the very diets we're choosing to use um, actually make it more likely to not be able to uh, to do a diet. That's what, that's what a lot of the research is showing, and it's uh, research from our lab and, and elsewhere. And I guess it should be clear, um, these are diets, they're called the Western diet. And the reason they're called the Western diet is because they're so popular in the United States and other Western and Westernized uh, societies. And there's lots of saturated fats and lots of sugars. And um, those things uh, especially seem to have, um, I should say, harmful effects on the brain. Unbelievable. So uh, high saturated fat, high uh, sugar levels would then make it uh, so parts of our brain are less able to actually um, monitor and, and manage our own, our own eating habit? So, so I actually think it's more like the parts of the brain that help monitor those habits, they become less functional. Hmm. They're not working as well. And so uh, it's, it's uh, the kind of thing that allows you to, uh, you know, maybe not think about food. Maybe you have other kinds of things that you need to do. So we have to, you know, we don't have food in our minds all the time. Well, uh, if you've have this uh, uh, problem in this area, you may think about food more when you see someone else eating or you see an advertisement food, that kind of thing. And typically when you're thinking about food, that's when you tend to, to eat it. Unbelievable. It's the vicious cycle, huh? So we have... Uh, that's, that's what we call it. Is that's that what right. you call yeah. it? Talk about it. Yeah. So we, we have obesity, but then with obesity, we have cognitive decline. Um, and it almost seems like it just kind of folds in on itself. Well, yeah, when we first began this research, we were basically just interested in the areas of the brain that were involved in learning and memory. And uh, what we found out pretty quickly was that when we did manipulations of this area that we we're studying, uh, change, uh, and this was animal research, changed the animals' eating behavior. And they tended to uh, eat more frequent meals, they tended to gain weight. And uh, this uh, was quite interesting to us. So, uh, Basically, what happened was is that we tried then to figure out why this was the case. And um, it's one thing to produce, an, say, experimentally manipulate the brain, but most people, of course, don't have those kinds of manipulations, and yet they, they gain weight. And so we tried to look into the environment to see what was causing the effect, and that's where we ran into the Western diet. And we saw that the Western diet was changing this area of the brain that's involved in learning and memory, it turns out this particular area of the brain is also very much involved in cognitive dementias, particularly late-life cognitive dementias. Oh, wow. And so these are like Alzheimer's disease and so on. And so the vicious cycle basically is uh, you, eat this, you eat this diet. It um, disrupts the protections that uh, the areas of the brain that are involved in learning and memory have. And these are often what's called the blood-brain barrier that protects you from the inside out. And then uh, once you disrupt those protections... Uh, basically what happens is you start eating more in response to food cues. And quite frankly, the, the, we have so many food cues in the environment that are signals for the Western diets, like uh, golden arches, or I probably shouldn't name things, mm, but yeah. uh, lots of things like that. And um, so what happens then is you then eat more of that food, you produce more damage to that area, which means you can't inhibit the response to those cues. And uh, ultimately what we think, and there's some speculation here, there's, there's mostly – correlational data now, but uh, in terms of uh, what we think may happen is over the course of, of this uh, lifespan, the damage to this memory area is enough where the memory function gets impaired as well. Like, is it permanently impaired, Terry, or is this something that is reversible? 
Well, I, th- I think it depends upon how long you've been eating the diet and what other <laughs> kinds of factors there are in your life. Yeah. So there are many there are many factors that can impact your cognitive function. Um, there's certainly if you if you use your brain a lot, that helps, and if you exercise, that helps as well. So it really depends upon uh, how long you've had the exposure, what other kinds of things you're doing. <laughs> and I don't want anybody to take a, you know to think, well, you know, I'm I've had it, you know, I've been eating this stuff forever. Um, the fact is, is that um, there are other things that we don't know that are protective as well. So not everyone who eats this diet will uh, uh, have brain problems. As a matter of fact, not everyone who eats the diet gains weight. I'm sure a lot of us know people who can eat this diet, and we might look at them with wonder because they don't gain weight. And that's, of course, a very interesting question that we're trying to figure out as well. How is it that they're protected from it? Well, and it, but it also might give some insight into others that – that feel like they they just they that their inhibition control is so off or why is it that they're so incapable of of stopping some triggers and it might simply be the diet itself yeah well i think that uh, you know i don't want to give the impression that you can't do anything about it yeah right? so i mean i think that that there's plenty of things you can do that that are healthy um it's very hard to tell somebody to stop eating the diet right and, and uh, as you may know, if you go all the way back to Hippocrates, Hippocrates told people that the surest way to a long and healthy life is to eat the right foods and exercise. Right. And doctors have been telling us that for ages. And, then, uh, and the problem is, is that we can't seem to follow that advice. And so what our work is doing is saying, well, maybe this is part of the mechanism that makes it so hard to follow this, this advice. We're, we're changing the brain in ways that, that prevents us from uh, you know, controlling our intake the way we should. It's interesting. In your study, you did this with animals, and mm-hmm. even the animals just kept going back. They, they kept taking more and more food. They just didn't know not to keep eating, I guess. Uh, well, the, the, what we think is, is that... Um, well, you probably know the feeling of being full, of, and sometimes we call that being sated or satiated yeah. with yeah. food. And that's a kind of internal signal that tells you you've had enough. And most people's bodies, I think, uh, actually, you know, if we wanted to talk about the way the system was designed kind of informally, uh, the idea was to create energy balance. That is, the amount of food you take in should match your needs. And what we're having, I think, is what we're seeing here is that as part of the problem with this diet, those satiety cues are not working as well. Hmm. And so you might even feel uh, sated, but you still can't inhibit the response. Unbelievable. That's, boy, great insight. And uh, it sounds like a major, major innovation. Uh, Again, we're speaking with Dr. Terry Davidson, and he's walking us through some of his research on obesity and brain power. He is the director of the Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. And we will uh, continue to learn more about the impact your eating habits have on your brain power up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Uh, on the phone with us is Dr. Terry Davidson. He is a uh, director of Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. He's walking us through some research he's been doing on obesity and brain power and how the Western diet, 
which, uh, you know, most noted, I guess, for saturated fats and sugars, a high uh, saturated fat, sugary diet uh, impacts um, your brain's ability to, to um, I guess, manage its triggers, to turn off the triggers. Um, and Terry, make sure I'm getting that right. It, it actually, it, it's part, part of the brain that's impacted is the hippocampus. That's correct. Yeah, that's the area of the brain that for many years was a focus of memory. And I think I mentioned to you that I started out looking at that area of the brain because of my interest in memory. And then probably within the last 10 years, people have been recognizing that it has other functions as well. And if you disrupt the hippocampus, one of the functions you can see that's changing is the ability to control your intake. Because um, because it would part of the hippocampus would signal hunger or satiation, and apparently this diet uh, impacts its ability to to make those signals clear. So I think I, I think it might change that just a little bit and say that what it probably does is interpret those signals. Okay. So you're going to get signals from the body itself, right? Uh, stomach uh, contractions and things like. Uh, uh, different levels of nutrients in your bloodstream, and other areas of the brain can detect these things. And I think what the hippocampus kind of does is interpret them. Okay, what now when I get this signal, what should I do about it? And um, so what, basically what might happen is, is if you get a signal that says, um, I've had uh, enough food, um, the hippocampus misinterprets it hmm. and uh, doesn't interpret it as a signal to stop. Unbelievable. I mean, really, I, I'm amazed by this because I mean, it makes sense, right? And we're we're getting to we're getting to some deeper level of what's going on after years and years and years of the Western diet. Give us maybe just a an example of um, what. I mean, I guess maybe you don't know the gradations of the diet. Are there certain things in the diet itself, or it, that that are really worse off for our brain than other things? Well. You know, there are certain things. <clears throat> it is the case that um, lots of sugars are unhealthy for people for lots of reasons, and probably um, the, the thing that's most harmful would be diabetes. Um, and it, so sugar is, is bad. Um, one of the reasons, though, that we haven't spent a lot of time trying to separate out, uh, so how much sugar do you need or how much, uh, say, of various vitamins or other kinds of nutrients uh, uh, involved in this diet is because... Um, well, some studies, for example, would do just sugar, and this is very unhealthy for an animal. Uh, the fact is, what we're trying to uh, match or uh, what we're trying to produce is a diet that's similar with respect to its various um, levels of macronutrients, protein, fat, carbohydrates, that's similar to what people eat. So we haven't focused as much on, okay, so if we take this nutrient out or, or add this nutrient in, what happens? And part of the reason is because people aren't doing that. They're, they're tending to eat this kind of high combination of fat and, and sugar. And so um, that's, I'm, I'm sure that's an important research question in certain places and may be helpful. But our own work uh, and most work so far hasn't focused hmm. on that aspect of it. When you, with your animal uh, studies, when you, when you stopped giving them the fatty diet, if you did, did you see a change in their ability of their hippocampus to, to work better? So that's a that that's an interesting question, and um, a lot of so a lot of the studies that we do uh, we um, well I don't know when to, how long we have to go. So I know we've gone a rat's life ninety days is is uh, probably uh, we're looking at ten years uh, mm. perhaps in a, in a human life, and so ninety days can be a fairly long period of time. And we've gone as far as ninety days, 
and not seeing changes in the behavior of the animal that indicates its hippocampus is working properly. Hmm. And we've seen impairments still in areas of, I should say, when I say impairments, change in, in its functioning, uh, changes in the way that, 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 that the hippocampus is working. We see signs of what are called pathophysiology, like inflammation and, and uh, damage to what's called the blood-brain barrier that protects uh, the brain from um, things that are circulating in the bloodstream. And so we see damages like that, which can last, uh, again, up to 90 days. Yeah. Um, I know one study that um, what they did is, and this was a study with mice, and what they did was they measured all kinds of parameters, like uh, were the animals hyperglycemic to have too much blood sugar and, and, and all kinds of regular, like physiological parameters that indicate health. And then they also measured uh, performance on tasks that required the learning and memory function of the hippocampus. In this study, what they found was is that when they put the animal on a regular diet, got them off the, the animal gain, lost weight. Uh, the animal uh, got normalized in terms of all these physiological parameters hmm. I mentioned, but they did not recover in the cognitive task. Oh, really? So it's, yeah. it sticks. So that was, that's a little frightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Do, do you, yeah. I mean, you did bring up the fact that this does, I mean, this may have even longer term ramifications like what you're talking about there. Do you think this has other ties to other dementia related issues, uh, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia? Well, um, so the human data, and again, you know, we don't we don't expose people to high fat diet and see what happens to them after thirty years. Yeah, um, but I mean, all you'd have to do is really data. go just pick a few of us up. If you if you want my data, <laughs> come get me. No, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad this is a radio show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, what I I, I think uh, there are data out there that indicate that if you're obese or overweight at midlife. So this is in middle age, yeah. that this predicts um, cognitive dementia or cognitive dysfunction at late, later in life. Um, and it's a high, much people have a, who are obese in midlife have a higher incidence of those diseases late life than people who aren't obese in midlife, even though they start gaining weight late in life. So it seems like the midlife is maybe the critical feature to, to uh, producing some kinds of dementias. Hmm. Wow. But you're, you're right on the cutting edge of this, it seems like. Well, we're, uh, yeah, uh, that's where you want to be if you're doing research. But I, I, I have to tell you, I've been studying in this field for 30 years. So it's, uh, um, it's finally paying yeah, it's off. not a brand new thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you're fine. Yeah. You've hit the, you've hit the vein now. Um, well, right. are there, I guess the, I guess the best uh, advice, what is the best advice you've got for us? Um, manage our diet, I'm assuming. Any other <sighs> impacts that you see about our, our diet and how it impacts the brain? So uh, one thing I should add, and quite often we think about this as being um, an adult problem, um, but there's uh, quite a bit of data indicating that kids, perhaps as young as seven to nine years old, um, are showing deficits in their ability to, use, to solve problems that depend on the hippocampus if they're overweight or if they've had a diet that's high in saturated fats and sugars. And so it's a, it's a process that, um, that uh, probably begins early in life and, again, uh, extends uh, later. So I think the thing, you know, I wish I had a panacea to say, well, this is what you should do. I think still the best advice is, um, has to do with virtue lies between two extremes. Uh, if you're gonna be, <laughs> I would certainly want to recommend to people don't eat anything that has saturated fat because that would take a, 
a huge amount of stuff out of their diet, and some of it's healthy for them. I wouldn't say don't eat anything that has sugar because clearly we enjoy sugar, and, and that makes it's one of the things that helps uh, help us get or get by sometimes. Uh, the thing I guess I would say uh, shouldn't be surprising is just use moderation in what you do, and um, and try to avoid um, excesses. You know, and and I think that's probably what Hippocrates would have said. But um, I think that's where we are now, and uh, until we can find, uh, and that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to find ways to break this vicious cycle in our lab and other labs right now, ways to prevent this diet from starting that cycle. But until that, I think moderation is the best thing I could say. Great advice. Dr. Terry Davidson, thank you for being with us. Again, the founding director of the Center for Behavioral Neuroscience and a professor in the Department of Psychology at American University. Great advice. Moderation in all things, really. And uh, until they can figure out how to break the cycle, moderation, moderation. We'll continue the journey, folks, uh, helping us all live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Ah, little Oliver for you. That's one of my favorite movies growing up. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Really? What was it about Oliver that... I just thought it was really cool, this group of ragamuffins going around conning people, and they hung out and had a good time. (laughs) You always did love a good uh, ragamuffin con movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's It really is. uh, It's it's And they've got great music. It was the best picture of the year. Was it really now? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it is a forgotten genre of movie, the ragamuffin. Yeah. Well, what was, yeah. I mean, we haven't had a ragamuffin movie lately, have we? No. I think I just like it because muffin is in the word. We've also had, mm. we, but we have had a lot of muffin top um, movies recently. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Um, let's get to some more news headlines with Terry. What's going on, Terry? Uh, give us the news or the food update. Yeah, this is more of a food-related update, and it's kind of breaking news. As I said in the break, um, there, there's dental problems in, in England. What? I know there's this stereotype of bad teeth. Yeah, people, people would and say there is no dental I've, I've, I've heard, anything. I've heard it. people surmise that the reason for that is they have a, a genetic population that's isolated to an island and it just keeps yeah, making you... bad teeth. But <laughs> but I'm not sure if that's the problem. The problem here is popcorn. Here or there? In, Brit- in Britain. Oh, really? Popcorn? In London, they're having a major problem with popcorn. Oh, boy, talk about that. There's an, ex- that doesn't make there's an explosion of posh Popcorn, as they're calling it. Okay. So Posh spice popcorn? We call it gourmet. Okay. Gourmet popcorn. Specialty popcorns, caramel, yeah. flavors, different things. Oh, and it's and, giving, and everybody's getting cavities. Now. Yeah, so like hard-boiled sweets, fudge, caramel, they're, they're, they're you know, you, you get your caramel popcorn, whatever. This yeah. is, the Brits are swapping fatty crisps, or chips, chips. Uh, for uh, <laughs> upmarket popcorn, which is perceived as more virtuous option for snacking. Hmm. Well, not if it's covered in caramel. Well, you know, we all justify our way. It's okay, fine. Yeah, sure. uh, by munching on popcorn, consumers are risking broken and cracked teeth thanks to rogue kernels lurking at the bottom of the yeah. packs. Yeah, the rogue kernel gets In you addition, small pieces commonly get trapped between teeth, which are nearly impossible to dislodge by simply brushing or flossing. <laughs> Worse still... Professionals say the wafer-thin but remarkably robust husks, which have a habit of getting below the gum line and causing severe inflammation and, in some case, abscesses. Come on. Robust 
a robust husk. Is this is this a problem? <clears throat> Apparently, they're saying uh, one the Brits de- are very delicate. One dentist they talked to here. My 25 years as a dentist, popcorn is easily among the top five reasons for broken teeth. Five yeah. years ago, I would perhaps see one case in 20 caused by popcorn, but the last two or three years, that has risen to one in 10. The number is only going up. People and they say it's because they're absent-mindedly eating the yes. popcorn. Think about when you're watching yes. a movie; you're just tossing the just stuff tossing in, tossing it back. You're not worried about what you well, what's in that handful of popcorn, and then you get that rogue kernel. Focus, Brits. I don't Focus. know a good buttered popcorn bucket of buttered popcorn. If that's my demise, then so be it. But it's, it's it wouldn't a good be your way demise. To... It would just be my teeth's demise. Yeah, it's a great way to go, though. Is it? Oh yeah. Delightful. You know, part of the joy that comes from eating that popcorn during the movie and not being able to dislodge it is the challenge of trying oh, to dislodge it with I your love tongue. It. it gives you something yeah. to do. As you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, that's a great ah. plot point. This movie's um, no good, but I'm having a good time in my mouth. A new, way, the, a new wave of popcorn producers are not oblivious to the dental problems related to popcorn consumption. Popular brand Tyrell's, as, as you know, it's a popular yeah, brand. Yeah, popular brand. That, uh, that while the, its packs did carry a warning for unpopped kernels, it uses a number of a quality processes, including sifting, as well as other bespoke technology mm. to remove as many kernels as possible. Wow. I'm not sure what bespoke technology means. I think they're bigger problems, their language. Also at the uh, Arizona State Fair, yeah, they have what's called the Cotton Candy Burrito or the Candy Urito. Oh, ooh, I once had a candy so it's, burrito. It's two two things of two fluffs of cotton candy mushed down into like a tortilla. Yeah. And yeah. then they put birthday cake ice cream, two big scoops, and then they roll it up and cut it in half, and you have a burrito. Oh. What do you think? There's the picture. Yuck. I think that, I just gained a pound listening to the my description. My started racing. The cotton candy burrito. Candy burrito. And then you can get the um, EKG burrito. Which is where they just hook you up to an EKG. That's if you want a supersize, yeah. yeah. And then they can do a stentorito. So basically ice cream <laughs> wrapped in cotton candy. Yuck. <sighs> Come on, people. And it's birthday cake ice cream. I'd rather break my teeth on some popcorn kernels. Posh popcorn. Pop. Posh. Okay, guys, uh, doing what we can to help you live longer by helping you know what to avoid. Certain foods will kill you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. missed your chance to tune into your favorite shows with the byu radio app you don't have to worry get hundreds of episodes of highway 89 top of mind the matt townsend show and all the rest right at your fingertips it's free to download and available on ios android and amazon mobile devices get the byu radio app today talk about good This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, friends. Man, you're at it again. Congratulations. Dr. Matt here, along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is gathered to, to help give you a leg up in life. We're going to make your life a happier place. Really? Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, so take that. People need a little a little leg up. Some uh some people are still struggling with the BYU loss. You'll you'll need to move on from that. 
Some, you know, some are still struggling from J.J. Watt, uh, his injury last night. ACL tear, ACL he's out for tear. the rest of the season. And the and their, their inside linebacker injured as well. Cool name, Merciless. Oh, what a great name for you football. Know, I was impressed with the employees at uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, though. They were Why? very civil, you know, because there are uh, clearly some Boise State fans there, especially in the section that I was sitting in. Yeah. And, you know, they were making a lot of noise, but some of the employees were coming by with boxes of ice cream, and they were only giving away ice cream to Boise State fans. Really? Yeah. We had That's a couple of them nice. because we were sitting with a, a Boise State fan. Are they drugged? And you were wearing those Boise shirts. <laughs> are they trying? They, they have some sort of like uh, suppressant of some kind in the ice cream. And they're just trying to calm them down. No, like, what here, it here, is. have some of this. It'll make you feel better. Well, because a lot of football stadiums would serve uh, alcoholic beverages. Well, yeah. So instead, mm. in lieu of alcohol, sugar, you might get. We'll give you. We'll show you how the Mormons do it. Well, so sugar. at halftime, I actually put <laughs> on some sugar. My Boise State shirt. Because I was like, oh, this yeah. is going south real quick. I'm yeah. going to change costumes. Get, get on the right side of that game, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. By the way, uh, last night, or yesterday, no, it would be Saturday, mm. Florida Gators paid what? homage to one of their own. Oh, yeah, Tom yeah. Petty, did you hear this? I saw it, yeah. What a cool story this is. 90,000 fans, Gator fans, singing tribute to Tom Petty as they're singing the Won't Back Down. I won't, we won't back down. BYU won't back down from losing. Yeah, you can't. You're, you keep you keep piling on BYU. Why not? Listen to the spirit of the Florida Gators. How cool is that? Also true, there's no easy way out for BYU. This is what the BYU fans need to be seeing. We won't back down. Sure, it's been a hard year. Sure, we've lost four of our quarterbacks I don't know the number I quit counting really it's too depressing okay well, to each his own yeah sometimes people like to count yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Petty uh, legendary rocker receiving a, a, a really uh, I think a, a much um, earned well earned tribute from 90,000 fans I didn't hear a lot of singing going on at, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. No, they usually sing after they score. Yeah, so, so they, they did one. They they got they one got the one there. in the first quarter. They, yeah. they did play another Tom Petty song though, which I thought was very fitting. What free falling? Oh wow! You did it again. They but they really did play it. <laughs> did I'm not really? just making a joke. Oh, they, they really did play it. Is that the one that they they played for that? That's what they played at the Cougar Stadium. Is free falling. Mm-hmm. They could have played Won't Back Down. Right. But they played Free Falling. Yeah. Right. You got that right. Huh. Wow. Well, Sorry I missed that. Um, got a great uh, show today. We're going to be talking about how char- you, you might be able to help people be willing to give up some of their stuff, hmm. some of their, their antiques, some of their cherished items. Instead of hoarding things, maybe one way to deal with that is take pictures. The research is showing if you take pictures of things that are that are memorable to you, you're more able to get rid of them. Instead of physically having the object. You don't need to keep that teddy bear from high school. You know, you're 60. Will this you need work, to let it go. Will this work on Antiques Roadshow? Can I just take a picture of the antique and then take it in and see how much it's worth? No. You have to actually take the antique. Come on. Because they, they have to check the authenticity. Well, the picture will be real. Yeah. But they need to check the authenticity. Okay. So, um, 
So we'll be getting into that today as well. Plus, uh, again, some, I guess, fairly good news for those that are going through Nate. Tropical Storm Nate. Came Tropical in, Depression Nate. Came in as a, a hurricane, yeah. quickly downgraded to a tropical storm, and then it fell into a tropical depression. It did. Which is, that's actually really good news because it it does it still means that, that Mississippi, certain places are having problems, but in the end, not as bad as it could have been. That's This is true. That's what the weather service is saying. There's a video that I saw, was it ABC News had it on their Twitter feed of a uh, parking garage mm. and the 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 tide of the inside the garage of the waves just crashing into Holy everything cow. and there's a pickup truck and cars are submerged and it's just it was probably a parking garage near the shore and it and you know your run. wife would be like can you go get the car and bring it around <laughs> yeah let me no, go man you go get the car let me go get that i'll get the scuba gear and we'll get the car and i don't know what's lower i think after a tropical depression it's then has to be downgraded to like a tropical funk really mm. i think that's the next level wow. yeah the tropical funk is the lesser known of the tropical hmm. storms yeah so how do you get a storm out of a funk or do you want to? Well, some would say just get out and get some sun. Okay. Get out over the water. That usually helps a storm. Yeah, that helps build, build you up back some up. speed. Yeah. yeah. How just do you get, get a out. funk out of a carpet? Ooh. I don't even want to know about that. Hmm. Okay. Some people say like a nice lemon juice will help to lift yeah. that stain. I don't know. I'm going to bet no matter what it is, it'll involve ammonia. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just gross. Try some ammonia. That's what Grandma always said. Uh, We'll get to all that, plus some empty news straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? President Donald Trump said on Saturday night that he is open to a temporary deal on health care reform that would buy the GOP more time to fully repeal and replace Obamacare. If we could do a one-year deal or a two-year deal as a temporary measure, you'll have uh, block guaranteeing ultimately to the states, which is what the Republicans want, he said, referring to the Graham-Cassidy proposal that failed to garner enough support last month. Senators Lamar Alexander of Tennessee and Patty Murray, a Democrat from uh, Washington, are negotiating a bipartisan market stabilization package aimed at preventing health care premiums from skyrocketing next year. It is unclear if the president would get behind such a measure as he has shown in the past that he would be willing to cut off Obamacare subsidies rather than, than extend them on a long-term basis, which is why the pre, uh, Alexander and Murray, are that's what they're seeking. Trump's uh, remarks come after a discussion with Senator uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer about health care. So Don and Chuck mm. got on the phone, talked about health care. Now Trump's all about health care. Wow. That's why the Republicans don't want him talking to Chuck anymore. Yeah. Don... Don and Chuck, I didn't realize they were this tight, but apparently they're way tight. Apparently they talk all the time. I read a thing, Rand Paul, who has been basically against everything that Trump was for. Apparently they talk all the time. Really? Trump calls him on the phone and just rattles on about his golf scores and everything else. And Rand Paul just sits there. His aides say he just listens on the phone. Doesn't He never asks for anything. Whereas all the other senators and members of the House, they always ask President Trump for things. Rand Paul just listens. Just so, really, Rand Paul is is just his listening. And so, buddy. Rand Paul ends up golfing multiple times with the president, and the president really likes Rand Paul, even though he's never supported him on anything and, and hmm. been an obstruction to everything Trump's wanted to do. He likes him. Wow, that's good news. And they go golfing, and Rand Paul just goes off on his libertarian ideas, and Trump goes, "Man, this guy's crazy," you know, and that's how it, how it goes. Yeah. That was <laughs> then, a, that was a story I read over then the weekend. a little like bro hug at the end. And I they guess walk away. I guess they don't agree, but. And then President Trump's like, I'll call you tomorrow. I'll call you. And he goes, I'll say no. Okay, cool. 
<laughs> That's great. In other news, Las Vegas shooter may have had other people in his suite before checking into the Mandalay Bay Resort on September 28th and killing 58 people and taking his own life. That's Authorities weird. are trying to understand why he had a phone charger in his room that did not match any of the phones that he owned and are additionally puzzled by a period when the garage records show that the shooter's car was away from the hotel, but one of his keys were used to access his room. Hmm. There are several possible explanations for these anomalies, investigators said, but they want to get to the bottom of it, NBC News reports. Yeah, got to figure that out. So you have a charger that's not his. No one ever leaves a charger in a hotel room. You know, maybe it's one of the the maintenance or maids that come in. But it was one of his keys was used to open the door. It wasn't a maintenance key. That's kind of weird. How does that work? So... Hmm. They're still investigating. Wildfires in California's Napa and Sonoma counties raged overnight, forcing evacuations from hospital, homes, and hotels as they spread across roads and touched several structures. There was a PGA Tour event in that area. Oh, boy. People stayed over Sunday night. Plus all the vineyards. Now you're going to have that smoky wine I heard one report like, there's all these vineyards and no one's picked their grapes yet. That's a beautiful place. What do you get when you have cooked grapes? Mm, is, is that jam, is that I a thing? You make jam. jam out of that? I mean, I how you, you to, if they're boiling? It. Multiple people were treated for injuries. Sonoma County Santa Rosa city manager declared uh, the fires um, a local emergency. The city also ordered evacuations in several Santa Rosa neighborhoods. Napa County evacuations were underway as firefighters battled a 200-acre wildfire. Ooh. That's not good. No, we've kind of forgotten about the wildfires because of hurricanes. Yeah, and now we're back to you know. I think we need to start naming our wildfires. Really? Don't you think? Just the name, I think, helps. There's another uh, hurricane, by the way. There's another system that's what? developing out in the Atlantic. Oh, So boy. we just had, what was that? That was Nate. Nate. So now we go, oh, so I believe it's Olivia is the next system. Othello. Once it Once it becomes a hurricane, they name it. It's oh, probably yeah. like 17 now or whatever. They yeah, are. yeah, yeah. But uh, Olivia, I believe, is the next. And she's, is she a full-blown not hurricane yet. right now? Not yet. Oh, not, not yet. Olivia. We were going to use that potentially. Olivia Newton-John? No, for a, a girl name. Oh. Oh, so you're not done? Don't, we don't want, I don't want to know. Yeah, let's move on. Um, and finally, back to our, our, our fearless leader. After expressing positive surprise over a Friday Washington Post story yeah. on his support of small-dollar campaign donors, President Trump complained on Twitter Saturday morning that late-night comedians like Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert make jokes at his expense. Well, oh yeah. 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 So totally. <laughs> Trump was apparently thinking of an FCC rule that broadcasts oh. not cable television and radio stations must give equal appearance time to competing qualified candidates for public office during an election. Yeah, not not an election. He right wants now. qualified time now. Well, he keeps thinking he's re- he's running right now. He wants equal time. Yeah. As a writer for Fallon's Tonight Show quickly noted, the equal time rule does not apply to a sitting president who is not campaigning. It also does not apply to commentary by a third party like a late night host monologue, but rather is limited to personal unpaid appearances by candidates. The president's tweets were likely inspired as they often are. Mm-hmm. by Fox & Friends segment that aired about an hour before the post appeared, this one on late-night comics taking a hard turn left when it comes to the president. Yeah. So I think Jimmy Fallon is <sighs> just making up for lost time because he was yep. highly criticized for being a little too amiable with well, President he, Trump. He mussed up his hair. Right. Yeah. People didn't like him mussing his hair up. So I think he's just trying to please all the people that were really mad at him. Apparently you make someone relatable when you muss up their hair. I don't even like mussing hair. Right. I think mm. the big thing was he confirmed it in some shape as hair. 
that was the big thing. Is that real? That, that's why he grabbed his hair and messed it yeah. up. To, but you know, we've we already talked about how everybody wanted to know. He has some sort of rug company from Europe that uh, supplies his. No, he doesn't. He grows his own hair. <laughs> he doesn't hire a rug company. Don't you remember that? That, that yeah, I do. That, that, that what was it, the investigative report yeah. where they're trying to figure out who this guy is that has a floor of Trump Tower? Isn't that part of his dossier? No, that that would be a different whole situation there with the dossier. By yeah. the way, they're they're looking into that. They're yeah. stumped. They Mueller really... is bringing in info from the dossier that was seen to be really crazy, anti-Trump, right. radical craziness. Yeah. But, you know, maybe maybe that stopped. You know, who knows? All the information we get out of Mueller is like a, a month old. Yeah. And where does it come from? Who's leaking all this information from that? It's well, supposed to be like a contained secret process until they no, no, go no, no, public no. Well, with some Comey sort of subpoenas. proved that they'll work the press to get stuff to happen. So do you think Mueller's leaking? Yeah, they got to leak because they've got to show everybody that Manafort's in. They got to get pressure on Manafort that you are going to prison if you don't huh. turn. Didn't they do that by kicking the door in when he was in bed? No, they remember they did <laughs> With it. With a they, search warrant? But they did it very daintily. Didn't they actually actually just, They picked the lock. They picked the lock. Yeah. They didn't kick it in. You're right. Kicking it in would have been a lot of that would have been more violent. Yeah. This was just they just gently opened the Is door it a, and a then kinder, locked in. A kinder, gentler then, form of law uh-huh. enforcement? Yeah. Interesting. You ever try to pick a lock? No. Would you – I mean there's always this dream I've that tried. you have like, oh, if only that could work where I pull out my credit card yeah. and get into a No, no. A you like door. tweezers and then like a metal piece I have a, of metal I have a friend that it. can do it. He's a, he's a locksmith. He can do it. I actually picked a – my brother's chest that had – well, that sounded weird. Yeah. Um, he had this locked <laughs> – he had this locker, let's say. What are you doing on my chest? What are and you doing? He, Good picking at that. <laughs> he locked up his Nintendo 64 oh. when he went on his mission trip. And uh, said, <laughs> and you, don't, don't play with my Nintendo 64. So we would take pictures and send recordings of us uh, playing Goldeneye <laughs> while he was out on his mission. That's rude. <laughs> no I wonder, like it. I like fun. it, but that's rude. No wonder your brother used to beat you up. Yeah. I mean, he is the one more, that beat me up. Yeah, it makes more sense. Because you were playing with his Goldeneye and picking his chest. That's uh, – but yeah. Hmm. See, I saw hmm. that game for the first time. When I was on my religiously uh, sponsored vacation trip, and um, man, that blew my mind. I'm like watching this game. Like I shouldn't really be doing this, but I'm just going to sit down here because it's not my house. I can't turn off their TV, right? No, no, you. It's one of the greatest games. It was amazing. And then I came home. It was the first thing I found. I I have to have that game. Wow, it was great. Yeah, when I I went on my nonstop. When I went on my LDS mission trip, I just, I just taught people about. Yeah, it's okay. I understand. You're better gospel, than us. The gospel. But it's mm. okay. It's fine. I mean, I didn't play You were games. one of those I missionaries. Yeah. I didn't play the game. Mm. It was on in the room I was in. You can't tell. It's rude to look at someone and say, hey, turn off your TV. I went to a place where they didn't have carpet. They didn't have video games. Well. Very few had TVs in their house. So I was just trying to change the world. Hmm. <laughs> Glad you guys had a good time. Anyway. Hey, uh, let's get to the empty news. The MT News Team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. <laughs> that darned apple just keeps coming back. So, there's a fighter, a, yeah. a former fighter. Former fighter. Who wants to pick a fight with another fighter. Who? But uh, different sports, different uh, There's a lot of methods money in of fighting. fighting right now. Right. Floyd Mayweather made millions. 
So I guess George Foreman hasn't made enough money with his George Foreman grill. Mm. Uh, so he wants to go the distance with actor Steven Seagal. What? Who is also a fighter, not in the same way that George Foreman is a, a fighter. So Monday, the 68-year-old boxing legend used Twitter to challenge the 65-year-old action movie star to a 10-round fight in Las Vegas. Really? Yes. What, so here's what he put in the tweet. One-on-one, I use boxing, you can use whatever. So Seagal is like a martial arts expert, isn't he? Right. He's like a seventh-degree black belt but is or he, something. But he's legit martial arts dude. Mm-hmm. And, and Foreman's saying, I'll take you on. Right. Yeah. So he later clarified it would be hand-to-hand combat only with no weapons allowed. So, so he wouldn't be allowed to kick... It wouldn't be mixed martial arts. It would be boxing. Right, right. So, you know, whatever is probably not the best word choice there. But he suggests that, you know, it could be broadcast on pay-per-view. It could be a big, huge payday for them. Foreman's a smart guy. Who do you think would win between the two of them? I think after watching Mayweather, I'd go with the boxer. Yeah? So I guess I would say George Foreman. Okay. So I put together some other... Celebrity names here. And okay. I want to see who you would like to see this person matched up with. Okay, yeah. Okay? Who would you like to see go head-to-head with Charlie Sheen? Ooh, Charlie Sheen? I would actually love to see Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> because Charlie, <laughs> I think it'd be... Charlie kind of bugs me. You would just want, I just want somebody, somebody that could give him a guaranteed beatdown. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, that about, sounds horrible. But... How about Kellyanne Conway? Uh... <laughs> yeah, who's the... It would probably have to be another woman. Well, who's the NBC host of her new show? Oh. Megan Kelly. Kelly. So the great. Kellys, the two Megan Kellys. Kelly against Kelly Kelly. Okay. And then if you could throw Kelly Ripa in there. Oh. Like a little She'd come team. in with a chair. That'd be great. Okay. How about Cookie Monster? Oh, Elmo. Elmo? Yeah. Ooh. Who do you think would win that? Cookie Monster, hands down. I think Elmo's... unless somebody's walked by with some cookies, then that would be a pretty big dis. Yeah, I know, but well, Elmo acts three years old, but Elmo's probably twenty. Hmm. And he's 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 wiry. Okay, he's one more stronger than you think. One more for you. Yeah. Who would you like to see matched up against the BYU Cougars? Hmm. I would say, let's go back to. Um, I would maybe. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe the Vienna Boys Choir. <laughs> Do they have a football team? I think, yeah. Anybody that they could beat, let's match them up against them. The, but the young Vienna Boys Choir, like the oh, young, yeah, yeah. young ones. Yeah, that older group, they're uh, ooh, they're pretty aggressive. I don't want to see... I, I, I just want everybody to get healthy, then I want BYU to start playing again. They had a really good first game. It's they true. beat Portland State. They won. Yeah, well, let's just go back to those days. Is that too much to ask? Ah, depressing. Okay, good news. I guess uh, George Foreman may be fighting Steven Seagal, which, you know, what could be better? Maybe eventually President Trump could get in there and do another World uh, Wrestling Federation move like he did a few years ago. Trump and Putin. Ooh, (laughs) that'd be a great one. No, it wouldn't. Putin would be bad. He's He's pretty bad to the bone. He's. I mean, he's already got his shirt off, so he's halfway there. And Putin works out. I mean, he's... That could get ugly. But I don't think they'd ever fight because they're such good friends. Anyway, uh, we'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, we're going to be talking about how cherishing stuff with a photo 
could actually help you let go of it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. You know, sometimes it can be difficult for us to let go of our material possessions, especially if there is sentimental value attached to to them. Nobody wants a house full of cluttered items we haven't used in years. But at the same time, we don't want to get rid of them and don't know how to let go of those memories. Joining us to talk about it is Karen Wintridge. She's a team. She is a uh, one of the team members of consumer psychologists that examined why it's so hard to leave things behind and uh, what we can do maybe to uh, cherish our memories and be able to let a few things go. Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Is it, tell, talk about your study and what you've been finding as a way, what, what's, what's one of the key ways, I guess, using our cameras nowadays might be one of the great tools to help us walk away from things. Right, absolutely. What we found uh, was basically that we hold on to a lot of our possessions, our goods, clothes, electronics, anything really, housewares. Um, and it's not so much that we want that product itself, but we often have memories associated with it. And so we actually don't want to let go of it because we want to keep the memory. So when we see it, it reminds us of things. We want to, you know, times, events, people. We want to keep that. And if we can take a photo, it makes us say, oh, it helps us recognize we really only want those memories. We don't want that product itself. That's so true. Nobody wants to go back and and have I, like I, the other day I saw a dryer in a kind of a retro television show back from the eighties, and I saw a dryer that we used to have when I was a kid, and a, a clothes dryer, and I thought, oh, that, hey, that would oh, that's pretty cool. That looks just like the dryer, but I wouldn't want to go back to that dryer. I like today's dryers better. But I do, I would love to show my kids and tell the story. Yes, absolutely. And you don't want a basement full or a storage unit full of things that you're never using or even extra rooms, closets, shoved full of it. Um, So it can be really hard for us to part with it and recognize that it's really just the memories. So this research we're hoping helps people that are kind of struggling with, "Ah, I don't really use it, I don't really need it, but yet I don't want to get rid of it. It helps them overcome that hesitancy. And recognize, oh, it's just the memories. A picture, you know, can do can be is worth a thousand words. It's worth, you know, cueing all of those memories, maybe from childhood, like you're saying, nostalgia. Um, or is, other memories as well that one might have associated with a product. Is the picture enough? Is that all they would need is to take a picture of some of these things, or do they need to have a picture and a description? Do they need to somehow get the stories out as well? We actually think it's just the picture and Ironically enough, I guess, potentially not even the picture itself, but it's more the, the psychological processing or thinking through of why am I hesitant to get rid of this or part with the good. And so we don't actually even know in all of our research if people really did take pictures of the products, but we just cued them as this being a possibility to take a picture before they got rid of it. Some may have, some may not have. Um, in some of the field studies, we don't know. But we still saw the increased rate of donation of these sentimental goods. And so we believe that just even suggesting that consumers take pictures, whether they do or not, helps them recognize, oh, hey, that's right. I really don't want the product. I just want the memories. Interesting. And, and, so, the- and you did this by by basically posting 
um, to college students, hey, we're going to be taking used items. If you want to donate, you could take a picture. And um, those those that you suggested take a picture, uh, if they're having a hard time letting go of stuff, they ended up donating more than those that you didn't suggest that. Yes, absolutely. We did it twice in the residence halls, and it was either during the end of the fall semester or at the end of the spring when everyone's moving out, or else in the fall about 50% were moving out in the residence halls we looked at. And, yeah, both times some of the, the residence halls had signs sign saying, you know, just we're doing a, a donation drive. No other really information included. Other halls had signs that said, we're doing a donation drive, take a picture of anything sentimental um, that you, you might not want to part with, and then donate it. And we saw between a 15 and 35% increase in the amount of items donated in those halls that had the cue to take a picture first. Hmm. That's amazing. Did, um, did you notice, were there certain things that people are more emotionally attached to than other things? Well, in the, in the residence hall field studies, it tended to be a lot of clothing. And so we can't tell for sure. You know, certainly a pair of jeans could be completely unsentimental, unattached for one consumer. But then for the next person, this could be their absolute favorite pair of jeans. They wore them forever. They have a lot of good memories yeah. of wearing them. Skinny jeans. They make them look skinny, yeah. Yeah, so we can't really tell by looking at them. But some things we can get a sense of are, you know, we're doing this at Penn State. And so... If there's a lot of Penn State T-shirts, special, you know, we do um, some different events, thon, whiteout. So if these are shirts from those events, we can assume that on average they're going to have more attachment and sentimental value associated with those types of shirts. And so when we tried to do that sort of sorting, we did find that there tended to be a, a larger portion of clothing with some sort of event association, whether that be a Penn State event or even, say, a shirt that has maybe – you know, a beach name on it where they might have gone for vacation mm. or maybe a sporting event, you know, a 5K race T-shirt that we can assume may not be the most memorable, but at least there's probably some memory and association of, oh, I did that. I want to remember that event. Was there a difference between genders? Is one gender more able to just get rid of stuff than others? That's a great question. Um, so we actually, this, one of the field studies we only did with female residence hall. So in that case, we couldn't really tell a difference. The other residence hall was mixed, uh, male and female. But one thing, we also did a field study with a local thrift shop, and we found there that there was a stronger effect among females. Um, although I have to say, the majority of donors themselves are females too. So whether that's just a rate of who's dropping off, um, who's available, you know, to come during the thrift store drop-off hours. But it might be something, at least when we're looking at clothing, that there's a greater attachment for females, so this might work better for females. But if we look at, you know, say, sports memorabilia, I would imagine that there might be a greater effect for males, yeah. potentially. On right. Oh, right. Like that first giving away your first mitt or whatever. Yeah. Your first right. bat. Um, do you I, – I guess when we when we talk about this, because part of our identity becomes attached to these things or somehow connected to these things, um, and because a lot of the studying you're doing is for marketing, this seems like some research that in, in maybe an uglier way um, uh, marketers could use against us. Certainly. Uh, I hope that that is not the case. Uh, but there could be some where, you know, marketers could potentially look at this and try to say, we know consumers are attached to this. You know, it's, it's part of their identity. Maybe they're willing to pay a premium or um, not necessarily using it in ugly ways, but storage units are making money off of us. I oh, don't yeah. They know 
um, you know, they could encourage us to take pictures, and they may actually lose money then if people are able to clean out their storage units, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know that they're intentionally not doing that. They may not have even thought of that option, but certainly it could be used. But I think I hope it more so helps the consumers recognize why they're holding on to it, and then also simultaneously helps the nonprofits, um, all even some businesses too that are based on getting these secondhand goods. And if we're holding on to valuable things that we're not using and could be of use to someone else, you know, we're hurting ourselves by just having that constant clutter in our lives and not being able to part. But then someone else is also not being able to use it when they could. Oh, it's such a good – it really is like for secondhand stores to be able to market that way with a commercial or whatever ad talking about, just take a picture. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we did in the one field study. We had people come in and we asked them what was kind of a memorable, sentimental item that they were donating and to take a picture. And this was only on the um, outside when they were leaving, but we asked them then how they felt. And they they reported feeling less sense of loss, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I felt we might drop it off, donate it, but we're kind of like, oh, I'm sad to see that go. They actually had less of that kind of feeling of loss after they had a picture. We gave them a little Polaroid kind of instant camera picture of that item. And then surveyed them, and they, they reported feeling less less. So we think this is a great way, yeah, um, you know, email out to your donors or have, like you said, a commercial, um, trying to get some spring cleaning done, clean up your house. Go ahead, take a picture of anything you're hesitant to get rid of, and then bring it in, drop it off for us. We think that could really have a, a substantial impact on the donation rates, and hopefully high-quality items, too, because if it's something we're attached to and we care about, it might be of higher value and higher use to the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like how many times have we, you know, tried to go help grandma or grandpa or whatever clean out their their basement, but they just can't get rid of stuff except if we could make them a picture book that had everything in it <laughs> that they could then even recount the stories and retell the stories. It seems like a pretty rich way of connecting to people, too. Yes, absolutely. It could be. We haven't looked at anything more longitudinally, say, over time about how people use maybe the photos in the storytelling. But one thing that we did, we initially didn't know that the photo would be so simple. And we had asked people, you know, just to preserve the memory of the item in some way to tell us how they do that. So they could have chosen to, say, write the story down um, or taken some other method. And some people did say things, maybe create a video even about it. But a lot of them, the majority, over 60 percent, would just say, I'd take a picture of it. And so then we just started using that as, okay, let's do these campaigns where we just tell people to take a picture. And we saw the effect held then. That's great. What, uh, where do you see the research going from here on out? I think there's still a lot uh, of unknowns about kind of why we hold on to things. So a lot of the research in marketing and consumer psychology is focused on buying, you know, acquiring products and consuming them, but there's a lot less on disposing of them. Right? So what happens after we buy, maybe after we use it some and consume? So I see a lot of different directions for trying to partner up with these uh, secondhand goods marketplaces, nonprofits, and understand what else it is. Because we were really focusing on the sentimental goods. Yeah. But, of course, there are certainly a lot of items we have in our home that we hold on to for non-sentimental reasons. Maybe we think that we could make more money off of them. Maybe we think we'll need to use them in the future. Like, oh, what if something else breaks? Maybe I'll revert back to this old dryer or something. Right. Um, And so trying to look at maybe then the non-sentimental goods and how we can get people to move on and part with those too. Because we're seeing more and more, you know, more consumption, but then also more of the retention, more club issues kind of. And just the psychological effects that can have living in 
and clutter. And I'm not even talking about, you know, hoarders, yeah. but just always constantly there's all this stuff in our life. Um, and really then kind of pairing with just the consumer benefits of, of reducing the clutter, trying to figure out well, how can we best get this into another secondhand market, whether it be even just recycling it, as long as it doesn't end up in the landfill. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, this idea, it almost sometimes seems generational. Those parents that grew up through the um, maybe more of the depression or through tougher times, maybe sitting there thinking, no, I'm going to keep everything. We're keeping every nut and bolt I've ever found in my life. Um, and then getting rid of those, you know, you never know when you're going to need it. Is there is there a point um, in the research, too, that because it seems like there might be certain objects that we, that we have somehow attached to our identity, but there's got to be other objects that we may have around that we don't have fond memories of. Um, it, it would seem like is there any research that you know of that getting rid of certain things actually helps you heal by uh, letting go of certain memories just because you gave it away? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And that is another – there's not a lot of research on that either. There's been a little bit of mention of how because these possessions that we have, the goods we hold on to, are associated with our identity, when you go through a difficult time, a loss of a loved one, um, potentially a divorce, uh, anything where kind of there's some goods that are associated with that part of yourself that maybe no longer has positive memories and you need to kind of either grieve or separate from – um, and there hasn't been much, loss, much work there, but I think it is an interesting area of, of, of research to do in the future because there are those, certainly those things that are tied to us. Maybe seeing it, instead of seeing it having positive memories, we see that and it brings back all these bad memories um, or just sad memories. And we need to kind of remove that from our life, but it might be difficult to do so. Yeah. So if um, if I were – if if I had uh, the opportunity soon to go sit down with a loved one that was trying to clean out their house a bit, what recommendations would you give for for how we could maybe make it a little easier, either taking pictures or having discussions? I think absolutely just trying to sit down and ask them why they want to keep it. Um, you know, what does it mean to them? Why do they want to hold on to it? Because maybe there's a valid reason you know, they really do believe they'll use it again. Um, but if they're really just kind of saying, well, it reminds me of this time, then I think once they kind of give you that that clue, then you can step in and say, you know, those memories are really important, but we don't need the product to remember it. Why don't we take a picture? Or why don't you write down, or I can write down for you, what memories you have of this so they won't be lost. Um, and then I would also say get it out of the home or wherever it is, as quickly after that as, pos- as soon as possible because once you have gotten the memories preserved, you want to get rid of that good so they're not thinking, well, maybe I should hold on to it, right? Yeah. So you want to keep the memories and then separate the good as soon as possible. Yeah, you don't want <laughs> you don't want them to you know rethink it. Yeah, and you're right. not just making an inventory of their clutter because you could take a lot of pictures and if you don't get rid of them, then you've just pretty much inventoried clutter. Right. So take the pictures and pack it up. Move it out. <laughs> but it does seem like a very healthy thing to then even hear the stories and talk about how you used this for years. Why does it mean so much? I mean, you could even count, capture some of those for, you know, grandkids, just some of the memories. It would be powerful. You could even give away – you could give away the clutter or whatever it is to people you love with the story. Yes, absolutely. My grandmother does that. She will pack on notes of what she got from where, from when, why, um, before she passes it on. 
And so I think that is one, certainly one way if you want to keep, if it's part of your identity and you want to pass on the importance as you pass down the good, um, that's certainly one option to keep the memories with it. But if you're not able, if you have no one to give it to or that wants to take it and you need to just part with it without passing it on to a loved one, then I think the photo can be even more important. Absolutely. Well, that's great stuff. We appreciate your insight. Again, Professor Karen Page Winterich is the Frank and Mary Smill Research Fellow and Associate Professor of Marketing at Penn State University. And uh, she's been teaching us some pretty powerful stuff about maybe just take a picture of it. You can cherish it in a photo instead of having it clutter up your house. Or um, And also, by the way, that used item can then go on and have another life in someone else's life and make um, make you know make it affordable for them to live a healthier, happier life. Great insight. We'll take a break. Continue the journey as we uh, as we do on the show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Welcome back, friends. It's uh, time for more empty news here with, uh, of course, Jeff Leon Simpson as our anchor. That's right. And, you know, I think you could agree that uh, our wives do pretty much all the work, right? They do. They do everything. They think more. They do more. They care more. Yeah. <sighs> and we, and we complain about them. having to go to work all day. Yeah. But they, and they're at home at work. Just killing themselves. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's this contest in Virginia, and uh, you're not going to believe this. It's a wife-carrying championship. What? So uh, these two people that won, Jake and Kirsten Barney from Lexington, Virginia, finished first Saturday on an alpine course made all the more difficult because Jake was carrying his wife on his back. When he trudged through water and jumped over logs. Now he knows how she feels. Exactly. I was just thinking this. I, I, you know, I kind of want to score some brownie points, but our wives carry us every day. All day. (laughs) Every day. With, you know, a number of kids on top of that. Yeah. So uh, the couple placed second last year. The event is based on the Finland legend of... Ronkanin the Ronkanin the robber. How, how, how was that again? Ronkanin the robber. <laughs> so Sounds painful. Ronkanin the robber, whose gang pillaged villages and took the women. Hmm. So seems like something we should be honoring and remembering. Yeah, you just throw them over your back, I guess, <laughs> in some weird way, and carry them away. Yeah. So these days, yeah, men usually carry women, but they don't have to be married, and the couple can choose who carries whom. The Barneys won five times Kirsten Barney's weight in cash. $630. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling you, I we could probably barely carry our wives in this contest, but yeah. in, in a metaphorical sense, they're carrying the entire family. Oh, yeah. They're, your wife not only carries you and the children, she carries your nachos. That's true, which can be quite heavy. That can be a very <laughs> heavy burden. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, that's and cool. speaking of food, there is an unusual odor, actually kind of a pleasant odor, that evacuated the school. Well, why would, why would it evacuate the school if it was pleasant? Well, hear me out here. Okay. So uh, 
it, this is in Baltimore. After five people were taken to the hospital complaining of upset stomachs, fire officials discovered the source of the smell, a pumpkin spice air freshener. Oh, see, that's it. You can't stomach that? I can't stomach pumpkin spice or air fresheners. <laughs> Both of them bother me. So this is uh, Cristo Rey Jesuit High School. Uh, it was evacuated Thursday afternoon after students and teachers detected a strong smell on the third floor. Several people reported difficulty breathing. No oh boy. And uh, the fire department and a hazardous materials team were called. Fire spokesman Roman Clark said two students and three adults were taken to the hospital for stomach ailments. Then firefighters located a pumpkin spice air aerosol plugged into an mm-hmm. outlet in a classroom. Yeah. Classes at the school resumed Friday. Some poor teachers just in there is like, I was just trying to make the room smell nicer. Yeah, Right. You're trying to poison the kid with pumpkin spice? No, actually, somebody in the break room microwaved fish, so they thought they would try to mask it with (laughs) With some pumpkin spice. Didn't work. They're pumpkin spicing everything nowadays. It's true. Kit Kat? M&M's? Come on. Come on. Yeah. No, it's not. It doesn't work that way. It's not supposed to be. And now this proves it. Pumpkin spice isn't a great smell. But isn't there, isn't there an old saying, pumpkin spice and everything nice or something like that? I don't think it's pumpkin spice. Oh. it's an Sugar e- and spice? Oh, it's sugar and spice. Yeah. It's the whole Spice Girls made an entire company around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sugar and spice. Yeah. That's better. Not pumpkin spice. But um, again, what was he covering up? He was masking the smell of little kids that are <laughs> – just, oh, yeah, all the Axe body spray and oh, the yeah. sweat and I told just, you. We can't have an open flame at our house. Cheetos breath and, mm-hmm. yeah. Beautiful children. Speaking and, of open flames and Cheetos, remember those are flammable, so be careful out there. Yeah. Great, though, if you need kindling in the middle of a winter storm. <laughs> well, that's some pretty uh, empty news. Matt Townsend news. <laughs> <laughs> empty it stands for Matt Townsend News. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we appreciate it. Up next, we're going to have Bouse in the house. McKenna Bouse will be with us. Little mind bender. She likes to get our minds uh, breaking in half. That's straight ahead right here on the Matt Townsend Show. It's the house of Bouse. McKenna Bouse is her name. It's the house. And uh, when she comes into the studio, it's the House of Baus, and McKenna comes in as a little mind-bender. She always brings us mind-blowing stories, things you wouldn't think can happen, but they're happening, and there's actually good science behind it. Today, she's going to talk about how there's gold in uh, solid and liquid human waste. Yeah, so what? It's really cool. Um, one thing that you know we're always looking for nowadays is new, clean, affordable, alternative energy sources. Right. We're looking for ways we can replace the things we've already got in order to have a cleaner, healthier world. Yeah. Recycle. Um, exactly. Recycling. And there's some really cool different science things that have been going on that have been showing how we can turn human liquid waste and human solid waste into really pretty viable, you know, alternative energy sources. Okay. Because, like, we've had – we've talked a lot about fatbergs on the show. Yeah, that too. And we always joke that if you just lit a match, 
boom, it would it would probably explode with all the gas, but it could probably burn for years. Oh, for sure. So now you're saying they actually could just do that. Yeah. So one of the things that is really sort of expensive and is really hard to do, takes a lot of effort, is cleaning up our wastewater. Right. It requires a huge amount of work. And what they've discovered is that they can run that wastewater through special fuel grids and create electricity, and they can also gather the solid waste and turn it into biomethane. And so there's actually um, a plant out in uh, Bristol, England, that has managed to take human waste and they turn it into um, 56 million liters of biomethane a day. Really? Yeah. And so that's something we can see helping in big cities where there is a lot of this waste and also in developing yeah, you know, because countries. How many times have you heard New York, they can't get rid of some of their waste? Exactly. And boy, but if you could fuel New York. That'd make a huge, huge dent in yeah. the energy consumption, you know, and the where the source is sourced from. So they, they can make, they can take uh, solid waste and somehow turn it into methane. They're sure there's a natural gas that emits from it. They collect that and then they can run. You a... can run whatever you'd run on natural gas. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. It's pretty cool. That is really cool, actually. Yeah. And so at the same time, not only does it provide electricity, but it cleans the water yeah. in the same process. And so instead of just cleaning it and losing all that energy, you're capturing the energy and making your community cleaner at the same time. And you're – yeah, because – you can eventually – that water has got to go somewhere, right? Exactly. So the cleaner you can make it as you're going through the process, then eventually they can take liquids, mm-hmm. waste liquids, and turn those into potable water again. Yeah. Huh. And so it's it's really yeah. cool. It's That's pretty neat. Clean energy on multiple fronts coming well, from a not-so-clean source. Imagine you live off the grid. You could just self – yeah. You could just self uh, – you could become your own gas company. And that's something that they are sort of doing in these developing countries, you know, poor communities. They will create these biomethane gas tanks yeah. because sanitation and being able to keep water in the area clean yeah. by managing human waste well is a major problem. And so here they are not only being able to pr- help protect their clean water but give yeah. them power at the same time. Super cool. And as the father of five boys, I've always thought this was possible. Yeah, there you go. You know, just <laughs> it's just you got to think differently. McKenna Bouse is her name. Bouse is in the house. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. A little mind bender for you, folks. There's gold in them fatbergs. <laughs> Up next, we'll continue the journey and try to figure out where that old miner came from. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is gathered. Uh, happy Tuesday. Is it Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Woohoo! It's hump day, folks. You done made it halfway through the week. Congratulations. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest uh, research information, ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. Today, no exception, we'll be talking about wildfires. California, it's unbelievable. I think 17 deaths or so. Unbelievable. Do you remember? That was that was Puerto Rico. 
16 deaths in Puerto Rico yeah. until until the president got there. Then they adjusted that there had been 30-plus deaths. Um, unbelievable uh, uh, disaster really going on in the California with California wildfires. Today we're also going to talk with a woman that moved from California to the Midwest. Ooh. And many in blue states would say, oh, may you rest in peace <laughs> as you've done moved to the Midwest. But um, – She's going to teach us that there's actually – it was beautiful. It was kind of a nice opportunity for her to open her mind, open her experience up. And she thinks uh, there would be a lot of people from the Midwest that might benefit going to the blue states and a lot of people from the blue states moving to the Midwest. Uh, we might be able to see each other differently. How? How what? How would that possibly work? It would just you know, We could just do like apartment swaps. Everybody just switch apartments. Like Airbnb or uh-huh. something? Yeah. There's been a whole movie on this. Really? Through the, the, over the oh, holidays. Oh, the holiday. Yeah. Yeah. You got to try it. Oh, yeah. But Don't it, watch the movie, though. <laughs> yeah, the movie no, actually, we watch it quite a bit because uh, it's bad, but, you know. It's, but it's a good bad. It's got its, it's, got its high points. Yeah. So I don't know if I should be worried because my family is in California. My parents are in California. And I called my dad twice yesterday. Uh-oh. Didn't answer the phone. So I don't know if he's in danger Maybe. or if he just doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah. Whoa. I'm going with the latter. Hmm. Which would be more concerning for you? Oh, the second. Okay. <laughs> or maybe maybe they're just packing up ready to move to Salt Lake. Oh, they are. Did they, I tell you? They could, are they? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it that bad in California? <laughs> <laughs> just getting out. Done. They've got to no, get to Utah. They'll leave, they'll leave after the Dodgers win the World Series. Oh, so what, 2040? That was mean. And I like the Dodgers. Why? Because they're blue. Okay. Because Steve Garvey used to play first base. That is true. One of the greatest. Nice. One of the best goats at first base ever. What do I know? Hey, a lot to cover. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Deadly wildfires that have ravaged Northern California, killing at least 15 people. The number, as we talked about, we saw this morning was up to 17. Caught many residents by surprise, sweeping into their neighborhoods after they had gone to bed, leaving them precious few minutes to escape. Some evacuated in the nick of time. Others weren't as lucky. And nearly everyone in the region is grappling with near-apocalyptic devastation. Some homes burned to a crisp. One idyllic community turned into ash-covered ash covered shells. If you've seen the photos of those homes, yes. you can see folks' cars parked in their driveways. They didn't have a chance to get into their cars and drive them away in some cases, said the uh, deputy chief of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. The uh, This was the, at night. People were asleep, so they were woke up and they ran for their lives. Mm. Fire crews were desperate for the uh, relief of cooler temperatures and weakening winds that came Tuesday. Authorities continue to grapple with containing the 17 firestorms raging simultaneously across the state's wine country, including Napa and Sonoma counties, uh, uh, where fierce winds and months of dry weather helped kindle the flames. They said the uh, temperatures are dropping in the evenings to uh, overnight to like 40 degrees. Oh, boy. But the wind isn't stopping. Man, right? So, so it, the it, fires it, keep up. It died down on Tuesday, but it was still. It, usually, the, the these these fly, these storms will flare up, but they go away quick. They go away quickly because the wind stops. But yeah. it's the Santa Ana winds, and in the north, they they call them Diablo winds. Ooh, devil winds. Ooh, yeah. El Diablo. That is, and the 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 carnage, the devastation is unbelievable. You yeah. can like see the roads, and there are no homes. As one guy 
um, interviewed. There's cars. He was interviewed cars. on the news. His name is Jimi Hendrix, but it's not that Jimi Hendrix. Oh, the other Jimi Hendrix. Um, he said, you go down the streets and it's just one chimney after another. That's all that's left. The brick. Yeah. Oh. Like, seriously, it looks like an atomic bomb went off. Yeah. Just this wiped is in, it up. This is in California. This is in Napa Valley. This is in Sonoma County. Man. In other news, President Trump reportedly told his advisors, including the country's highest-ranking national security leaders, that he wanted something very simple. IQ a, test for everybody. No, that was yesterday. Oh, this sorry. is actually from July. Oh. A tenfold increase in America's nuclear arsenal. This according to NBC News. <laughs> Trump told the room on July 20th meeting that he also wanted more U.S. troops and military equipment. The request was in response to a PowerPoint slide he was shown during the briefing in which officials pointed out that there had been a steady reduction of nuclear weapons in the U.S. since the 1960s. According to at least three sources in the room, Trump allegedly did not like the downward slope of the slide and wanted the numbers to instead increase dramatically. Trump's advisors, including Secretary of State Tillerson, were surprised by his request and tried to explain why legally and practically that would be a difficult goal to accomplish. Officials have since said that there was no such... Uh, there's no such expansion planned. Now, this looks to me like a guy who is new to the whole concept of our military infrastructure. He sees a graphic and says, I why can't we have more? I want nukes. That's so right? weird, yeah. Now, he's not coming from a place of government where he's been exposed to any sort of numbers in this yeah. way, and it might have been surprising. So this is another story of let's hurry up and call the president dumb. Yeah. Right. Oh, they're, they're saying that. Yeah, that's what the news report and why white people leak this information. Like, he doesn't have any experience. Like, well, no kidding. Right. The guy sold real estate, basically. Right. And his name. But, and now he's, you know, looking at military hardware and going, can we have more? But I guess that's the question, too, is, is it the press's job to not make the president look dumb? I don't understand. The key element out of this, though, this is the two-hour briefing at the Pentagon where, at some point, Tillerson may have called the president a moron. That's that meeting. So. Oh, he left that meeting and then maybe no, said, the may same, have said. It's the same meeting. Yeah. He, but, yeah. But, oh, it wasn't in the meeting he said it, though. Wasn't it after no, the meeting? Yeah, he's Trump like, had left. Like, what a moron. And then Tillerson's like, something moron. So, uh, How many times have we heard people sitting behind us say that under their breath in a meeting? Yeah. Though? You walk out of a room like, oh, that guy, he's a moron. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm. I must not. Mm. Huh, maybe it's happening after I leave? Possibly. Okay. Possibly. Oh, glad that guy's gone. But, but again, it's, it seems like they're just sort of trying what they can yeah. to pile on. Well, so the, me- yeah, the, the media might be piling on, absolutely. And he just keeps feeding it. And NBC News, which the president called fake. Oh, yeah. Fake news. Uh, the Utah officer who arrested that nurse yes. last month, he's been fired. So the video everyone saw, it's all been taken care of. He got fired. By the way, in a 17-page letter. Right. Take like 17 me? pages to tell you you're fired? That's where Donald Trump gets it right. He just does it in one sentence. Right. Or he tweets it. Yeah. Uh, also, the U.S. Uh, World, or, uh, US men's national soccer team failed to qualify for the World Cup in the first time in 30 years. What is the deal? Wow. I thought we were really good. I thought no. we were better. We lost to Trinidad and Tobago. That combined with some wins, I believe, by Honduras. And uh, and Panama in separate games dragged the U.S. from the third to fifth place in the Six Nation final round, and so oh, we're, man. we're not there, right? So yeah. the World Cup's going to be in uh, Russia, and we're, we're not going to be there. Don't um, s- all these networks are going to show it. A lot of the money that that supports the World Cup comes from the U.S. Yeah. So people are like, oh, so people are just going to pull out. And it's like they don't understand. People aren't watching soccer for the U.S. There's some people that are, but a lot of yeah. people are watching soccer because they like soccer. 
Don't a lot of these countries take soccer a lot more seriously than we do, though? Oh, yeah. Like, aren't there refs in other countries where if you make a bad call, you might go to your car after the game and it's on fire? Or not. You might die. Yeah. There's people that have died after a bad game. As this says, the U.S. team ranked 28th in the world needed only to tie with the 99th ranked Trinidad team to qualify for the cup. Holy cow, really? And the goal, if you watch the replay, the goal that Trinidad won the match on, yeah, um, the, they have this goal line technology. It's like a laser type thing that tells the ball, and there's like a chip in the ball. And that's the technology they're using. And all it has to do is like get to a line where the computer says it broke the plane. Uh-huh. So you watch the ball, and on the replay, you're not sure if it crossed the line. But the computer said it did, so it's a Do U- you trust U.S. is out. Computers. U.S. is out. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. I guess we still have basketball. There you go. And baseball. Oh, That's you can true. watch. You can still watch the World Cup. You just won't have a U.S. team to unite us all no, against yes. the world. Right. It's not going to happen. So who do we hate? And we won't have that Seven Nation Army song playing over and over and over and over as they always do. Finally, individuals in the U.S. managed to spend the equivalent of half a day consuming media. According to eMarketer's latest media time spent figures, in total, eMarketer estimates that adults will spend an average of 12 hours and one minute per day with major media. And they have the breakdown of how we do it. 12 hours? And one minute. I mean, it's the one minute that bothers me. Right. It's that one minute. It went too far. It's just not rounded, right? It says on digital, we spend five hours, 53 minutes. That's broken down on three hours, 17 minutes on mobile, two hours, three minutes on desktops or laptops, and 33 minutes on other connected devices. Yeah. So TV, three hours, 58 minutes. Radio, one hour, 26 minutes. Print, 24 Mm. minutes. (laughs) Who uses print? (laughs) Uh, then it says other 21 minutes. Other is the defibrillator. There you go. And then it says people have become more efficient at multitasking thanks largely to mobile devices. Uh, according to the study, multitasking via mobile is primarily responsible for the overall increase in time spent with media. Oh, wow. Right. So even though we still have the same amount of time every day, we keep increasing our time with media because we're doing it with the TV on and the laptop in hand or your phone or whatever. So you're multitasking, which gives you more time on media. Which means maybe we're – I guess we're not spending that time. We used to just spend it watching TV, I guess. I have a TV screen on the back of my toothbrush head. Wow. So I'm brushing my teeth. Oh, neat. And yeah, I can even watch it through the mirror. That's efficient right there. Yeah. That's efficient time spent. It's a little small, but... I mean, it's like you know, two minutes, How long do you brush your teeth? <laughs> You're supposed to do it two minutes it twice a day. It doesn't well, even it seem worth it. depends on what's on TV. And what if you're flossing? Yeah, but couldn't, couldn't you just look at your phone? If it's like a good episode of Seinfeld, I might be brushing my teeth for 20 minutes. Oh. <clears throat> That's why you have no enamel. <laughs> That's why you're enamelous. Hey, um... A lot going on. Uh, Harvey Weinstein's in trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's, the new, he's the new Roger Ailes. Speaking of piling on. Yeah. It's like no one said a word. All of a sudden, somebody said something, and then the, the, you know, the gates are open. But So he's accused of uh, now rape, but mm-hmm, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, sexual uh, um, advancements to employees. The actresses are coming out of the woodwork. Man. Lost his job and his wife in about a 24-hour period. Well, he lost his job, his wife, and Obama and Clinton came out against him, didn't they? Right. I mean, he's, he's pretty much lost everyone. Yes. And now it's, I mean, Roger Ailes has had this, uh, Bill Cosby. 
it's a big deal. This is Holly. This is this is something I guess that's been going on it, in Hollywood. It's a long interesting time how and- how slow people have been on in some areas to address it. Yeah, when they have a platform to do so, some news networks didn't really jump on the story until a couple of days later. It seemed, and it just seemed kind of like there's different interests involved, and so they didn't want to, I guess accuse or report on something before it was more substantiated other than just the new york times did a expose on it didn't ashley jed bring this up a while ago though yeah okay but but she was crazy ashley yeah she's crazy until the new york times talked to her again and then they put her account with several others and Mm. when you hear all of these big mega media personalities taking advantage of women this is it seems like this is something that should be a bigger deal that we should all be talking about how do we make sure this doesn't happen anymore figure that one out terry more transformer movies the the real stars there are the transformers i think we're safe there well yeah until you're being abused by a transformer oh well then it's a whole other ball game and by the way nfl now the now they're all like we okay, we got to do something about the kneeling thing. Are the owners? I guess the owners have been meeting. Roger Goodell's like, okay, this has we got to do something. Well, but they didn't ban it. Not yet. Well, they're not going to stop. The problem is they'll continue to kneel. The president apparently is going to continue to do what he's doing, yeah. and it's just going to turn into a. It's not going to have a sort resolution here. Well, so unless the, unless the owners all start doing what Jerry John or well, that's Jerry what I'm Jones saying. The, the owners are looking at it like we got to fix this because it's if it just continues to happen, it will it will start affecting the the, the viewership because people just get tired of every time this has to be something we talk about. So hasn't it already? It. Not necessarily. Well, it's enough that they're now talking about but it, but they're worried about it because yeah, you know, they got to solve money. it now. I, I think there are probably people out there that are sympathetic with them, but I think some of those same people are thinking. This is my entertainment. I don't want to have to turn on my football game and get a political sermon, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, who does? Well, there is a question. Um, initially, it was Mnuchin, the uh, Secretary of the Treasury, that brought it up. And I th- I, my first thought was like, man, you just don't understand what's happening. But he had a point. Like in our in our place here, right? If you have a personal view yeah, that's like a, a protest you want to have and you try to do it on the air – that's probably not going to sit well with management. It's not the no. place to do this it. This isn't the place. It's not my role. Those guys in the NFL are in their workplace, and they're choosing to hold a protest. Yeah. And they actually have rules on the books. They're just not being enforced about what you should be doing during the national anthem. But then the minute you start enforcing it, you look like you're, you're stopping someone's freedom of speech. Right. But, but, but really, the it's question, a contract deal. Like, yeah, yeah, if you sell oil of Olay for me... You shouldn't, during the commercials, go off on a political rant. Right. Unless that's what Oil of Olay wants. And that's for, so or I it, fire you. You get this owner, you get, you know, the management employee sort yeah. of relationship, and where do, you, where do you truly have the right to demonstrate the freedom of speech? Now, freedom yeah. of speech in the Constitution is the government's not going to stop you from doing what you Yeah, the government's not stopping this them. Is, but this it's is, their yeah, boss. This is your boss. So but I, you, you can feel free to walk away. Right. Walk away from the million-dollar contract. Like the NBA has rules. You must stand during the national anthem. But they all link arms. Nobody cares. Yeah. I'm with you. That's cool. Do, That's... It, on, do it on your own time. Well, there's other ways they can do it without the way they're doing it. Sure. 
But then and I you, think that's something that's the NFL it. will find a compromise. Yeah. They'll probably end up linking arms like everyone else is, and they'll be fine. And again, the NFL could very strongly, I would say, impact the, the, nat, the whole discussion about black rights, black abuse from police officers. They've got more power than anyone. Cops love the NFL, and yeah. African-Americans that are being abused love the NFL. People love the NFL, so they could actually go in and facilitate and pay and educate and start solving, helping to and solve problems. They need to be sensitive to that yeah. because uh, yeah, it's part of America also, so they need to make sure they're, they're there. But I think there's a way they can do yeah. this without... Then, you know, yeah, everybody sure. can stand, link arms. Lighting this fire every week. Would right. it be appropriate if you walked around with a clipboard trying to get people to support your cause, whether it's same-sex marriage or abortion rights? Would that be appropriate? Sure. If, during work? Oh, no, not during work. Yeah. Like if they want to they – can, they can do whatever they want, right? On their own Twitter feed, on their own time, on their own thing, right? I don't know. Now, that, that, that comes to the question now. People are stepping into employees' well, yeah. Twitter feeds like, wait a second, you represent us. But you're I guess like, well, that's part of the deal is if you're signing a contract with a franchise, you've got to – and they have – what do they call it? Like the character clause mm-hmm. where you've got to be an upstanding citizen, which is why if you get arrested for X, Y, Z, we're not going to support you. You'll lose your contract. Right. You'll go to jail. And then when you're done, you can come out and then we'll pay for you to do it again. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be interesting if we were fined like professional athletes instead of just fired? Oh, no. We're going to fine you $10,000 for that <laughs> comment that you made. 20 push-ups. You owe us 20 push-ups. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. Well, you know, it's going to continue, right, until they do something. And the neat thing is it's it, – what is it now? Monday nights, Thursday nights, sa- Sunday nights, mm-hmm. Sunday day. It's kind of nonstop. That may be their other problem. There's too much football. You got to yeah. make people anticipate and not just give them so much that they just go, eh. It's... And then the other problem is they don't necessarily have all the games to oh, yeah. meet a primetime standard of entertainment. You just have like, <sighs> when you roll the Browns and the Ravens out, you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. I didn't want to watch that when it was just buried on a Sunday. What, what is a Brown? It's a dog. Oh, is it? I it's believe a f- so. It's flavor. It, I, think, I thought it was just a color. I think it might be a color. Like their mascot, though, is like a bulldog. So. But it's almost like it's when it came to like when it came to naming a team, they got lazy there. Hmm. They're like out of names. Like, let's do Vikings. That's already taken. Let's do Ravens. And they got it. Somebody got it. Well, what should we do? I don't know. What about colors? <laughs> let's do reds. That's Cincinnati. Haven't you ever asked your kids, what's your favorite flavor? Brown? <laughs> yeah, that's when we... That's when we took him to therapy. Right then we're like, oh boy, we got to get some help for that kid. Browns. There's got to be a there's got to be a story behind that. We better look into that, Jeff. Look into the Browns naming of the Browns team. Maybe that's a section of Cleveland. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Up next, we're going to be talking about uh, the impact of moving from a blue state to a red state. What good could come of that? Interesting, interesting story up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You know, many times when you're, when you're choosing where to live, you choose to live around people who, uh, who have the same ideals as you, that maybe reflect more of who you are. 
But what happens when your job situation changes and it takes you to a completely new area with a completely new uh, world? Uh, that is what happened to a freelance writer and her family. Um, she went to Leah Singer, went to from Blue State, California, to the middle of Red America. And uh, here with us today is Leah Singer. She's going to share with us about her experience and how the experience changed her life for the better and really how everybody could afford to do a little uh, move from blue to red states or red to blue states. And if we did that, we all might be a little uh, more united. Leah Singer, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. This is such an interesting topic to me. Uh, I live, you know, I'm deeply entrenched in a red state. And yet I and we hear about it. We hear about how could people vote for Trump. But there really is a big there's a big difference between certain states, blue state, maybe dynamics and red state dynamics. Talk about your move. And uh, you went, I guess, from San Diego to to Indiana. That's true. We moved. Um, my husband uh, got a great job opportunity at a university here in Indiana, in Terre Haute, Indiana. So we, after being pretty much lifelong San Diego Californians, moved um, to Indiana about a year and a half ago. So um, as I, I talk a little bit about in the article, I always, you know, I was raised in San Diego, always kind of felt like I was among my um, politically minded peers, I guess that's yeah. the way of saying it. So um, coming here, it was, you know, everyone, I had a lot of people ask, how, how could you go to a red state or, you know, is it, you know. <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you doing or whatever? Um, and I used to think the same thing. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'd never leave California or whatever. But coming here has been an eye-opening experience for me personally. Um, it's been uh, wonderful for just our family and my daughter, too. I'm so proud to be able to raise her in a completely different, you know, geographic and culture and all that good stuff, too. Did you notice that you, I mean, I guess our assumption is that you have to leave your political identity um, in California because there's obviously no Democrats in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a, the, the assumption, too. Everyone's like, you're going to be the only Democrat there or whatever. And, I'm, you know, come here and going, um, I don't think that's exactly true. There's, yeah. there's lots of good people on both sides of the aisle. And same with, same with San Diego, too. I, I'm sure a, a more conservative would feel that the same way living oh, there. But, um, totally. you know, you brought up a good point um, when you mentioned, you know, the election of President Trump. And that's, that's one thing that I've, I've talked a lot about. Um, you know, everyone in this country was surprised by the win, whether you supported him or not. It was a, a surprising thing, and everyone was trying to analyze how that happened. Um, being here among people who voted for him, being friends with people who voted for President Trump, I, I understand it. I, I get it, and it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think I would have had that same perspective in San Diego. Mm. And I bet it. I mean, I, I guess that's our problem, right? We live in these. We yeah. live kind of in these little incubators of our own uh, political bubble, and we don't by never cross pollinating, by never interacting with each other. I guess at some point, we never could really truly understand each other. Exactly. And that, that's something that, that I found, and it's been, you know, been very evident to me moving from, from blue to red. I'm sure, like I said, people could say the same thing going from, from red to blue or whatever. But, I, you know, we've all seen somewhat how this nation is so divided, and there's so much hate, and, you know, the Internet, social media, and everything fuels all that. And I think really just stepping out of our zones, getting to know our neighbor, and talking to people, we could all do a lot better. 
Oh, yeah. Talk about um, like diversity and because there is a difference um, in in some of the red states in the Midwest, uh, in the Mountain West as well. Not as many minorities, but like you found in um, in Indianapolis or in Terry Hout, uh, you, you noticed that there really is a pretty amazing uh, story that that still echoes uh, strength of diversity. Yeah, I think that, and that was, again, another assumption. People thought, you know, there, there wouldn't be any, you know, African-American, Asian, um, you know, all these different groups like that. It's People have an assumption that it's, you know, predominantly white America. And, yes, that that is, you're going to see more of that than maybe a big city like San Diego or Los Angeles or something. But it's not, it's not you know, void of diversity. There are great stories and amazing people here that of different religions, you know, races, cultures that are doing amazing things. They are here. I, you know, I talk a little about this in the article. You know, people assume the Midwest is, you know, um, is, is full of racism. Indiana was a free state and had stops on the Underground Railroad. There are people here who are, you know, still extreme advocates of, you know, different mm. points of views yeah. and all that. I've interviewed successful entrepreneurs that are, you know, African-American or, or, you know, Middle Eastern, all these different perspectives. So I think it's easy to assume one thing, but when you start looking around, you realize there's a lot more diversity um, in in lots of different ways. Did, did you notice with your family that you ended up, you because you were looking hard, you had to look maybe harder for it, it also maybe made you appreciate the differences more. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Um, you know, because it's not as evident, um, it, I, I did look for it more and and found you know great people. And I think that's I think it's a great. I think I'm a better person because of it because I'm able to, you know, learn more about people. It's not just you know seeing somebody or seeing people around the street say, oh, there's you know, it's a you know. Uh, rainbow of diversity, if you will, uh, or, you know, all this yeah. different stuff. But I've been able to get to know people, like you know them beyond their race, religion, what have you. Um, I think it's been great for my daughter, too, because she's um, been able to meet uh, people that she wouldn't have normally met in San Diego or gotten to know as well. And then the other interesting part of, I think, the diversity that we see here um, is economic diversity. I talk about this a little bit in the article I wrote. Um, there's people living in, in poverty here that, you know, my daughter or I wouldn't have met in San Diego. And I think that's a good thing for us all to be learn about each other, whether it's race, religion, economic status, and whatnot. I mean, I guess that's, when you think about it, uh, San Diego County is a very affluent, wealthy county, but it's also, I mean, there's diversity in the county. There's diversity in every county, but it seems like a lot of us tend to just hang with the people we live by or we hang with the people that go to work with us. So one of your lessons, it seems like, is we really need to learn to be comfortable out of our bubble. Exactly. And that's, you know... That's definitely kind of my big takeaway, and I think it's something that everyone can can learn from. I certainly did, <clears throat> stepping out of my bubble, and I think others should could do the same. I mean, there's certainly folks in, in red states or whatever that would learn a lot going to California or the East Coast and, and vice versa. But I, I don't think that we can really understand each other unless we get out of our, our bubble, and I didn't realize how much of a bubble I was living in uh, until I 
stepped out of it, essentially. In fact, you can see with the election and of uh, President Trump, it did finally shine some light on a pers- a group of Americans that felt disenfranchised. Uh, yes. And um, so to me, there's so much benefit to that. Uh, just like just as President Obama was able to shine a light on other people, other groups that have been disenfranchised, it, it, it's almost sad that we need like a like a like a political revolution <laughs> in this country to get us all to understand the disenfranchised. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And as I was saying, that's something I don't think I would. I, I mean, I still see uh, friends and folks I know in in San Diego still you know, contemplating why, how did, you know, how did this happen, or why is President Trump president? But I, like I said before, I, I, I understand it here, being here among the people who were felt disenfranchised, you know. And I don't think you have to, you know, say, okay, well, I, I agree with that, or then I'll change my vote this way or that way. But the understanding is key. Mm. It's knowing, you know, why, you know, why people feel disenfranchised. You know, there's a whole... Um, life, if you will, here in the Midwest, you know, people are losing jobs. There is a very a fear of, of losing jobs and things being different that you don't see on the on the West Coast or even parts of the East Coast. As Absolutely. Well. Like you might see on the East Coast or West Coast a lot of inner city issues. But yes. in the Midwest, you also see farmers that ha- are struggling to make a living anymore and education in certain, Absolutely. you know, uh, rural areas what what are your what's your advice for those that are looking to move or um but have never really thought they could go to the midwest or from the midwest that would move to the coasts what advice would you give as they're preparing to to move to a new place that's that's a great question you know i i think i would do what i guess what i did you know i just started reading about my where my new place would be i got online i you know looked for you know i have i have a family i have a 10 year old daughter i looked at what's available for for kids looked at schools looked at those things that are important to me um to see what's out there um and read i you know put a google alert on Terre Haute. i looked up Terre Haute news um just started you know researching different areas and and what i wanted to do and i think it's fine to to find areas where there's you might have more in common than with others but you know stepping out and going to a whole different state i might you know um find cities or areas or tell people to find things that they can get behind or that they feel comfortable in but don't feel that um you know that's just another city away in the same state like try to look at what you want or what your values are and find that in a different different part of the country. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. what's it like for your husband? Um, is, was it a di- – because he went to a university, I guess, to, is to be on faculty? He's an uh, administrator. He helps students get jobs. Oh, um, interesting. So he's in the career services field. So does does he see a- it different, like going from a blue state university or organization to a red state organization? Yeah, I think, what, and that's what, actually one of the things that really attracted him to the position here. He was uh, at UC San Diego, which is a, a fairly large uh, public university in San Diego, um, very much geared toward research and innovation um, technology, and then coming here to um, Indiana State, also a state university. But um, you have more of the students who are, this is probably their, uh, if they didn't go to, 
they're either not going to the college or they're going to this university. So I think what attracted him was being able to help students get jobs that might not otherwise hmm. um, find work afterwards. You know, at the university we were at before, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that these students will will find employment. They will um, they're going to find they're, work no matter. Yeah, they're going to thrive. Yeah. Exactly. So coming here, it's kind of, you know, really helping those students who need the most help and being oh, able to make more of an impact. Yeah. Do you sense that you're going to stay there, Leah? Or do you, do you see another move down the road? You know, I, we don't know. It's, um, honestly, I can't see going back to California at this point. Um, well, too economically, really, right? I mean, it's yeah, economically, it's a, it's an entirely different world. It is. It's, I mean, the cost of living in San Diego is, and California, most, a lot of parts of California is, is pretty steep. And um, for us, it's not worth the, you know, taking that on uh, and also dealing with the, the crowds and yeah. the and the fires by the way. And yeah. I know that's it's so tragic, so devastating. It's yeah, it's really sad. Um, so I don't, I don't see going back there. I don't. We we love Indiana. We like being here, but I wouldn't. What this also has taught me is never to rule out, you know, moving again. I yeah. certainly am not looking forward to packing the boxes again, <laughs> but, you, you know, you never know what will happen. That's it. Well, Leah, we appreciate you. Leah R. Singer is her name. And if you go to her website, uh, leahrsinger.com, you can see all of her latest published articles, uh, including the one we're talking about, What This California Woman Learned Moving to a Red State. She also does a lot of other writing that you can see in USA Today, Indianapolis Star, Huffington Post, uh, The Good Men Project, Today Parenting. Great insight for all of us, really, right? To to be healthy, we, we might need to get out of some of our bubbles and, and push ourselves a little bit more to understand other cities, other communities. Well, that's why we're here, to help you uh, see things a little differently. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, what an interesting idea that uh, you're going to leave California... The bastion of not just beaches and, you know, ha, you know, hard bodies, surfers, and a nice tan. But also, you're going to leave the blue state, the headquarters of liberal values or whatever, and go to a red state? Can you imagine going to Utah or Indianapolis, the city, and all of a sudden you got to like basketball and – Republican Mike Pence, come on! But uh, that what uh, we just learned from Leah Singer is it actually it edified her, it made her better, and she realized that she can still have her views, and in a weird way, they actually have more power in another state than they do in California. You know, to be to be a Democrat in Indianapolis, uh, or to be a Democrat in Utah, or any other Midwestern or uh, Mountain West state may actually have more power than it would in any other state. So if we could just open up, as Leah was telling us, our minds a little bit more to learn how to, to you know, intermingle, to let more people into the, our circle, how powerful would that be? And by the way, how powerful for everyone else around you? 
to have neighbors that they associate with that see things differently, that we are just so entrenched in our in our little group. So I wanted to give you some some coaching tips um, on what I call lessons to learn um, when when you're de- and, and to use when you're dealing and interacting with some of the most difficult people in your life. Um, every one of us comes across somebody. Uh, I see a lot of them when I'm coaching them in my office that, you know, it's a lot of minor marriages. They just really cannot deal with their partner or, you know, the lady down the street or their mother-in-law or their father-in-law. So here are a few rules, I think, for all of us to, to better get along. Rule number one, let go of your childlike behaviors. There comes a point where if you want to be effective with somebody that's immature, you can't stoop to being immature. You have to stay above the fray. And if you do, guess what? It gives you more power. It gives you more moral authority if you don't slink down into the childlike behaviors. Name-calling is – that's why there's like a point where when when we're in this weird battle over who said what and who's doing what, sometimes it's better to just be quiet. And then if if you want to resign, leave, end it divorce, do whatever, but don't stoop to being childlike. It's, uh, it's a battle of, uh, of the children on the playground um, and the bully makes you become a bullier. We don't want to do that. So we tend to believe that we as adults would naturally let go of these least effective scripts that we live. But a lot of us still believe that, you know, it's, it's got to be fair. It's got to be fair. So and some of us want justice so bad that we will we'll stoop to a really childlike approach to gathering and gaining and and getting our justice. So whatever you do, don't become broken because the person you're dealing with is broken. Don't stoop to their level. Another rule is get curious, not defensive about the differences. Uh, As we just learned from Leah Singer, moving from a blue state to a red state, instead of going to the the next state and starting out in a defensive posture, go get curious. It sounds like what she did is she started to explore – you know, race in Indiana, she realized that, man, that was a pretty powerful, they have a pretty powerful history in Indiana um, of of actually being involved in the underground uh, railroad and the underground groups that were trying to free slaves and get slaves to safer places. So how powerful would that mean to understand that? I, th- I think if you came to Utah, you might, in researching, you could dig down and find out that Utah was one of the first states to give women the right to vote, which, right? Which sounds like such a, what? I thought Mormons oppressed the women. <laughs> but at some point, uh, they were one of the first, they also organized one of the, the first and still largest uh, women's organizations called the Relief Society. Again, history exists in a lot of these places that none of us know anything about. And so when we get to our new area, we could, instead of immediately getting defensive, we could understand. Also, we probably ought to make sure that we remember that we're dealing with individuals, not just groups of people, right? We, when you go to a state that's a red state, you're dealing with still individuals. So one-on-one, you could get really curious as to what your neighbors think and why they think what they think and try to understand their story and allow their story to be there. Another rule that we can use is allow some stories to go untold. Some stories don't need to be brought up. Um, you know, I, I've noticed as a radio talk show host that many times I have guests that I'm interviewing, well, they'll be sharing a story or a principle that I connect with or that I may even have maybe even a better example than they do. And yet what I've noticed, too, is it's better sometimes for me to just bite my lip and not share my story. Sometimes 
I don't have to one-up someone else's story. Sometimes I don't have to impose my version of the truth on other people. I can actually just allow it to be what it is. And by the way, there are also times stories need to be told. And many times some of us have been too afraid to share our story or it hasn't been safe enough to share the story. So some stories need to be untold and or not told and some need to be told more. And it might behoove all of us as a, as a cult, as a country to spend more time trying to figure out the difference there. Make it easier for some to tell their story. Make it maybe uh, more valuable for others that just hold back and don't always have to say everything that's on our mind. Another one we could do is start to uncover the holes um, in our own story, in our own lives, instead of digging holes for others. Some of us feel like we have this need to push other people down to make sure that they're not succeeding because we're going to create the obstacles for them. And I see it all the time in couples that are arguing, you don't have to agree with each other, but you also don't have to disagree. It doesn't have to even be a point that we have to fight about. Why are we having to beat each other's ideas up? If your idea is so right, wouldn't it stand on its own, right? You don't have to put another person's idea down to make your idea better. Just let the two ideas stand. Um, Another idea, another rule that I use when I'm coaching people is change all that you can to minimize the heat. Sometimes if you can take the heat off of the conversation, um, then – then, you know, life will be better, right? Life can be a lot easier if if we're not, if there's not as much friction. And so if you could sometimes ease the friction, take the, take the, the thing that burns, the thing that bugs the most, and instead, maybe let's deal with that at the very end, but let's go first to everything we can agree on. Let's go first where we do have a unified approach. And then, um, interestingly, I've found once that once you do have you know a history once you kind of have momentum once you have trust with each other and you in i that's easier to gain when we're not focusing on the hardest issues first then let's slowly bring in pieces of the hardest issue and start dealing with those and i've also just found allowing people to share their side of the story um their version of what truth is sometimes eliminate some of the heat as well. Anyway, some basic ideas uh, to help us all deal with the people that are most difficult in our lives, the ones that we, we really disagree with the most. And uh, hopefully by doing that, you become better yourself because you're going to learn. You're going to learn. You're going to pick something up, for heaven's sakes. And uh, then you can have more power to influence down the road. That's the, that's the goal for all of us. Up next, we'll continue the journey. In fact, we'll even decide or give you some insight and research as to why the Cleveland Browns are called the Browns. You won't, you won't believe what they're named after. Welcome back, friends. You know, I ask one question in the first, uh, you know, few minutes of the show, and of course, our researchers, aka Jeffrey Liam Simpson, highly trained, highly trained researcher, uh, figured out the answer. The, the question was, you know, some 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 franchises have really cool names, the Rams, yeah, right. Um, others have names like the Browns. Is it possible they were named after brown M and M's? No, I don't think so. 
Is it possible that nobody's uh, named after a brown Eminem? Is it possible that they were having a meeting and somebody in the meeting was wearing a brown shirt? <laughs> what should we What should we call this team? Well, you've got a brown shirt on. Let's call them the Browns. Yeah, maybe. So you've researched it. Why? What were they named after? So Cleveland uh, Browns. The franchise was was originally founded in 1945, right? Or right. was founded in 1945 by two people. Arthur B. McBride, yeah, and the coach of the team, Paul Brown. <gasps> Paul Brown. So they're named after Paul Brown. They could be called the Paul Browns. Yeah. Or they just as easily could have been called the McBrides, which would have been a bride at McDonald's. Mm, I don't know if that franchise. would have gone over. Seven McBrides for seven McBrowns. <laughs> That's interesting. With... Seven McMuffins. Mm. Now that sounds like a breakfast. The Browns are named after Paul Brown, Coach Paul Brown. That's it. They're the only team to be named after uh, an original coach like that. Well, it's right. crazy. I guess Green Bay could have been the Lombardies. Was that, mm. that right? Huh. Well, could be worse. What if he had a really weird coach's name? What if the Cowboys were named after a guy with the name of Cowboy? Yeah. John Wayne. No, like his actual name is Cowboy. Oh, that'd be weird. John Cowboy. John, John Q. Cowboy. John Q. Cowboy. Well, we've solved the problem, folks. Browns. Coach Paul Brown. There you have it. Again, the Matt Townsend Show giving you the answers no one else would tell you because they may not have been as curious as we are. More ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping you uh, be the good in the world.